It has taken me years to realize how important laughter is in my life. I almost see it the same way that I do <laughs> as I get older now, as a massage, right? As, as uh, going to therapy, as just a, a release of a muscle that is just so tight and strained and with all the stresses that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, be it through life, be it through our relationships, or be it just through the constant beatdown that we get through social media and everything that we're tuned into, I find that laughter is the only thing that releases it all for me. It's so therapeutic. It feels so good when I do it. Sometimes I laugh so hard that it fucking hurts. And I, I find that uh, when I don't have it and it hasn't been in my world for a while and I do it again, I go, where have you been? It's like a long lost love. <laughs> and so what I try to do is I try to regularly watch things that make me laugh. And sometimes it's just some random video. Maybe I just saw someone trying to control a gag reflex, which I don't know why always triggers laughter with me. I think I'm kind of a sicko when it comes to people having accidents and people getting into really uh, horrible situations. I kind of laugh at that. Maybe that's a defense mechanism. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm a horror nerd. But um, I'm always impressed and stunned with the folks that can design a laugh that can create a moment. And uh, I'm a huge fan of my buds like Rick Darge and Marshall Cook, like all these guys that can, it seems like it's as easy for them as breathing. Just the ability to set something up and pay it off with a laugh. And I can't help but draw the parallels between comedy and horror. It's kind of the same thing, right? Because in the horror world, you're doing the same bit, right? You're you're building suspense. Uh, you're taking the audience down a dark corridor with the hopes of scaring them. And like comedy with horror, uh, you can tell immediately when it works and when it doesn't work. So I love those two things. And I think that they're constantly crossing paths. And I think good horror films have comedy in them. And I think a lot of great comedies now have horror elements in them. I mean, I think one of my favorite horror movies and comedy horror movies of all time is Ghostbusters. And that is just loaded with them both. And it's interesting when you go back and you watch that film, how you can see the structures for both elements, how you can see the setup and the payoff for a joke, how you can see the setup and payoff for a scare. So that's what today's show is all about. We're going to talk about the parallels between horror and comedy. We're going to celebrate the craft and the art that it is to be uh, comedic director and to help uh, set up and pace out and block these sequences that seem so effortless uh, and they should be because at the end of the day all that matters is the laugh um, joining me on today's show and I'm pumped about it because he has been directing episodes of I think dare I say the funniest show on television consistently the funniest show on television the show that I go to, to not only laugh, but fall in love with these characters and fall in love with how despicable these people can be. Uh, they say things and do things that, <laughs> whether or not I want to admit it in public, which I'll do right now, oftentimes I agree with. And uh, I just, it is a place I go to cry. Really, it's a place I go 
to have tears streaming out of my eyes. And Gina and I are always saying one-liners from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Now, if you haven't seen the show, what are you, a fucking ostrich with your head in the hole? Like, where are you? Maybe you don't have cable. <laughs> Maybe you don't subscribe to a streaming service. I mean, it is by far the best comedy on television. And if you liked Seinfeld and you just wish that it was with even worse people, <laughs> then yes, Always Sunny in Philadelphia is for you. Amazing cast of characters on that show. Uh, characters and actors that not only know how to set up a good punchline, but they build a physicality that becomes memorable for each and every one of them. Um, and uh, on today's show, we have the director, Keith Collins, who has directed, dare I say, my favorite episodes of that show of all time. I mean, he did The Gang Gets Quarantined. For those of you who've seen the show, the one where Danny DeVito has to shave his entire body and cover it with pure L. <laughs> I need to be pure. <laughs> he did that show, uh, Frank versus Russia, which is a great new episode. Oh, it's so good. And recently, he did, I think, one of their more controversial episodes, which which really breaks the formula of the show, uh, Dennis Takes a Mental Health Day. It, i got to be honest, if you guys haven't seen it yet, I, I won't give spoilers on it, but watch it now. Definitely watch it now because we'll talk about it on the show. Um, but when I watched that episode, I connected so much with Dennis. And if you guys don't know that character, I mean, he's ultimately, they're setting him up to be a serial killer. <laughs> and I feel like there are so many elements of my life in his character <laughs> to the point where I was sitting and watching it on the couch with Gina. And she's like, this isn't even funny. I feel like I'm listening to you here on this, on this thing. So uh, I'm pumped, man. I can't wait to have you guys hear this podcast. It's a great one. I sat down. He came to the studio. He came in um, and he wanted to come in, which is fucking awesome i mean i love it when i just meet somebody online he's like no dude i think it'd be better if i come in and we talk in person i'm like yes man um so he was in the space we talk for a while um and it's it's wild you'll see how much of a horror fan he is and you'll hear because we're kind of the same age so you'll hear uh how we both came up kind of the same way uh as far as like what we liked and what was stimulating us and you'll see sort of the divergence. Like at one point, he decided to go off and do comedy. And at one point, I went off and did horror. So it's it's always interesting to me how that works, right? It's kind of like a wave sort of hitting rocks, you know, and it just splits. And there's just that one thing that causes that split. But it's quite obvious because uh, Heath and I talked after that he really wants to get into doing horror stuff. And I'm still kind of a nerd for comedy. And I, I really do believe that comedy in horror makes it better. I let me let me define this right now because this is a huge conversation that's been going on on my Instagram account. Those of you who don't follow me, you should go to Mike Petchy at Instagram or follow the podcast and Love with the Process POD on Instagram. Uh, that is the only place that you can get access to see 12 Kilometers, which is my horror film. And the only way that you can do that at this point is by uh, sending me your three favorite horror movies. And if I uh, well, the story is, if I agree with them, then I will give you a link. But the truth of the matter is, if you go through the effort and it shows that you really love movies, then I'll give you a link. Uh, I just went through the process of posting some stuff this morning. 
about it. It's where folks are like, why are you gatekeeping? And this shouldn't be a gatekeeping thing. It's like, I'm not gatekeeping. That's not why I set out to do it this way. It wasn't like, hey, I'm important. I made something and you need to come and get permission for me to watch it. That's not why I did it. It was, it was in an effort to get folks. It's almost like a lighthouse for people that want more from their experience of watching stuff online. More than just sort of plugging yourself in like the character uh, from, um, oh my God, just went right out of my head. Clockwork Orange, where they fucking clamp his eyes open and he's just staring at the screen and drool drips out. And then maybe, 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 if you're lucky, the algorithm will decide that you like more than just cat videos, you know, and suddenly 12 cam shows up on your feed, which would never happen. And uh, you're like, whoa, where did this come from? You know what I mean? I, I know this for a fact that we're all tired of it. We're all tired of just getting fed the same old bullshit. Just because I enjoy a cheeseburger doesn't mean that I want everything cheeseburger. I don't want that. I want something interesting, something new. That was the benefit of having a video store. That was the benefit of having to go in and talk to the snarky fucking clerk that worked there. And when you walked in there and you slapped Twister up on the counter, he looked at you and raised an eyebrow and went, really? You know what I mean? I needed that. That's why I still love to buy vinyls. That's why I like to go into vinyl shops. I like to go into places where someone is playing something through the speakers. And I may have set out to go in there to get Van Halen's first album, right? But I'm in there listening and I'm going, what the fuck is this? Right? And so then, oof, all of our antisocial brothers and sisters have to swallow it and walk up to the counter and say, what is playing here? And I guarantee you, because I used to work in music stores, I guarantee you that everybody in that place would go, um, I'm excited to tell you, right? So what I'm doing with 12 Cam has also been, you know, compared to a speakeasy. I'll take it. I like that. You're talking to the bar safari man. You're talking to the guy that loves to go and do uh, bar adventures in every city that I work in. Yes, I love that. There's nothing better. I mean, that was the rules of the bar safari, right? You pick your favorite places that you want to go. You start a night and you go, first place you go to, you talk to the bartender and you say, hey man, here's your list of spots. What are your favorite places? And then they tell you what their favorite spots are. That's what it's all about, man. And that's what I've been doing with 12 Cam. So for those of you who like to get upset online and define things in very specific ways, and you think that I'm a fucking gatekeeper, and you think that that's what I'm doing, then I would suggest that you look around on everything else that you use in your life. Those things that you so easily sign away your rights to just to get your fucking Chinese food overcharged and put on the front of your doorstep. You want to talk about gatekeeping. It's in everything else. And I get it. If you write to those companies, you talk to those folks, they don't give a shit. I guess you can write to me and unload all your fucking stresses on gatekeeping to me. All right, I'll do it. But remember that why I'm doing this, and you're hearing it from the horse's mouth, why I'm doing this is to get people that are interested in engaging with their entertainment and the creators of their entertainment specifically in a time period where we're fighting for this. We are fighting for recognition as creators. We are fighting to get paid adequately as creators. 
Uh, it's a crazy fucking world out there. And a lot of you don't work in the film industry. And I think some of you may be looking from the outside in saying, how are these spoiled fucking people, people that should feel grateful to be doing this stuff every day, be complaining about working conditions, be complaining about anything. I would say to you in the most humble way possible, wake the fuck up and maybe do some research and it, it isn't just happening in our business it's happening in all fucking businesses any business that the tech world has put its toes into and decided to try to make cash real quick by becoming a gatekeeper i.e lyft i.e uber eats i.e any of these companies that are doing that um they destroy industries destroy industries and and yes there are folks out there that say that's part of growth and the progression of human species is it for better though that's the question does it work better and that's the big question that everybody's asking the big old gatekeepers in our industry the folks that make a lot of money in our industry is it better though right are you actually making the kind of money that you're saying that you're making? Are streamers successful? You should go back and listen to one of our episodes. Uh, I forget what number it is. I think it's about 10 episodes prior. Um, I had an uh, economist on the show and we talked about the state of Hollywood and how it became a monopoly. And we break it all down. Um, uh, as you can tell, I'm buying for time as I'm trying to find the episode. My God, what did I do with it? Oh, I'll post it in the description of this. If you want to listen to other shows, if you want to find specific episodes of our show, rather, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I've curated everything there by subject material. So if you want to just listen to all the writer episodes, they're there. If you want to listen to all the director episodes, the chef episodes, the actor episodes, the, mu the musician episodes, you can find them all curated at inlovewiththeprocess.com. Calm. Okay, I've ranted a bit here in the beginning. Let me not let me not hold back any further. Let's let's get into it. I'm excited. Heath and I have a great conversation. Strap yourselves in if you want a uh, an insider look into how your favorite show, Always Sunny, is made. That's great. Heath's done other great shows like Mythic Quest. He directs that show as well. Um, he is. Uh, a really great dude, very smart director. He gives a lot of really good advice on how to interact with actors and how to process that imposter syndrome, which becomes such a theme on our show. Dealing with, am I worth it? Am I worth getting paid for my time? Yes. Yes, you are. All right. So strap yourselves in and get ready for a great episode. Of in love with the process.
see some levels over there. That's good. Yeah, there's some there's some healthy levels. Healthy levels. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Uh, all right. So, Heath, what I do is I do a whole intro separately so you don't have to sit through all that bullshit. Oh, okay. All okay. right. So we'll just make sure my water's with it. Do you know what that intro is going to be? Do you do you know any any high points? Just to contextualize, so I know what we're going <laughs> to be talking about. No, I don't want you to know anything. Oh, great, great, perfect. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I don't know what the intro is going to be. Oh, yet. okay, yeah, all right. To- I'm, I'm flying blind. All yeah, right, it's like we we both are. That's the that's all the right. beauty of this show, my oh, friend. Oh, okay, all right. There's no plans whatsoever. I didn't realize that it's yeah. improv podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna yes and you. Yeah, please. All right. All right, hold on, hold on. We're just going to get right into it. And Heath, thanks for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure, Mike. Good to be here. Good to be here. I'm excited that you responded to me when I wrote to you. Yeah, you wrote, you reached out just uh, of your own volition. Yes. Really go get her. Yes. No, I was, uh, (laughs) I was nice. I I appreciated the reach out. That um, episode you reached out about has, has garnered a little bit of, of of buzz, which has been nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're not, you know, you're the only person that has a podcast that reached out to me. (laughs) Other people have, have at least said, Hey, you didn't ruin that episode. So (laughs) that's been good. Well, dude, I, as a director, I got a lot of questions for you a lot of things that i want to talk about with your process and i want to get into that kind of nerdy shit i think it's always interesting to me i think one of the reasons why i love doing this show mm-hmm. is that directors really don't get to hang out that much and really don't get to talk about no, stuff. we're lone wolves right do you feel that way you feel lonely uh what do i i mean i don't i don't know i don't feel lonely but it is a lonely kind of position you know there's one of us on every set um and and television too especially you're you're in and out pretty quickly there's a little bit of overlap sometimes you'll you know if you're prepping you'll you'll meet the shooting director and some shows have a producing director that's kind of overseeing everything but Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of it is just um you figuring it out i haven't done tv yet and it just seems like from the outside looking in as like a film guy it just seems like the loneliest place for a director it doesn't seem like the director's medium anymore oh i don't know i don't know um yeah, I think it's I think it's show to show um episode to episode you know uh, if you're on a show in its ninth season and you're doing a kind of on pattern episode that there's yeah. nothing particularly variant about the episode then yeah, maybe you're just kind of in there, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say directing traffic, but you know, you're not necessary. You're very much called on to continue what exists. Which is uh, tough because at that point you have to try to figure out how much of it is your voice and how much of it is you just sort of piloting a ship that already has a plotted course, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, but I, I think in reality, like the exact same car, on the exact same road <laughs> driven by two different people is a, is a different ride. Yes. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I've been fortunate that most, you know, pretty much every show I've ever worked on, I've enjoyed the show prior to my involvement with it. And so I don't feel like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta fix this. Yeah. I gotta, yeah. you know, um, most of the time I'm like, if I can make this 2%, 5%, 8% better, if I can make a cut work better, if I can make a transition, you know, if I can get an actor that, you know, a little bit more engaged or, or just, uh, that feels like a win. And it doesn't feel, you know, I've, cause I've produced 
I haven't directed a feature yet. I've produced a couple indie features. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, you know, but I'm I've I've been very close on a few, and and am and like currently developing a couple. So that is certainly an aspiration I have. And mm-hmm. and I've done a couple pilots, which is more akin to directing a film because then you're like, kind of setting the look and you're doing a lot of the you know, at least in the case that I of the of one of the two pilots I did, I was on board i was like literally the second person hired like they bought the script and then they hired me so like no one was cast there was no no department head so all of that that was that was a bit more i think akin to a feature than typical television which i enjoy and i aspire to do and i hope that there's more of that in my career uh in my future but i don't i don't fully buy into the notion that uh it's not a director's medium. I don't know. It's a collaborative medium. I also believe like the idea that film is a director's medium mm-hmm. is like, sh- sure. But like mm-hmm. K- Kubrick didn't write his own scripts <laughs> and neither did Fincher. It's and true. It's and true. so they are, even though they're obviously having insane amounts of impact and influence on the finished product, like the script wasn't theirs. And my favorite directors are not auteurs my favorite directors are directors who work with writers Mm -hmm. and and, you know you look at you know look at scorsese or you look at tarantino or you like they have the same editors they have the Mm -hmm. same dps and that's not because they're running roughshod over those people Mm -hmm. and it's like their thing Mm -hmm. you know certainly like you know a you know a a a kubrick film or a tarantino film or i don't know why those two guys are in my head right now um probably i drove by some billboard or something i don't know um but oh someone was talking about the shining are you shining is that was that a oh i just there's like a barbie reference yeah was there a reference in barbie are you guys shine yeah the daughter in barbie that's why see it's barbie's fault that kubrick is in my brain (laughs) Uh, it has nothing to do with the opening and the dolls. Uh, and the, uh, <laughs> no, right, that too. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah there's a lot. Of, see, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. Yeah. Um, but uh, these are, or even someone that is, uh, even a director that's as like, oh, they're all them, like Michel Gondry. Like, sure. His best movie is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and that's Charlie Kaufman script. Like, sure. So I get that, like, film is a quote, director's medium. Uh, and I understand what, what the kind of, point of view of that is but i don't i don't it doesn't feel like television is like that reductive to the director as a lot of people mm-hmm. have i don't know grouse about mm-hmm. i think also like uh i can't remember where i read this or somebody said it to me when i was younger and had a better memory um be sand like i think it was in reference to being in a writer's room and being a young writer in a writer's room and just like be sand like fill in find the gap and kind of fill into it and i think a director being sand sometimes especially in a in a especially in television and like figuring out what does this show need what does this production need what does this particular episode need sure and you know whereas that might not at the end of the day be like my stamp is on this it's a spike lee joint you know um i don't I don't know. I, I know the people that know what to look for can tell the difference yep. when it's an episode of, I don't want to say of mine, but like when it's an episode that's handled well, as opposed to kind of a clunky episode of television. I get that. I, I totally get that. And it's, I'm happy that you're sort of explaining it that way. It's, it just, I guess when I made that statement, it just feels like the difference between television and movies is that it's the director's neck on the chopping block for a movie. Whereas I think in t- TV, it's more the showrunner's neck on the yeah, chopping block. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I think so. Um, yeah. yeah um, 
but I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, you're gonna you can cut this part because I'm, I'm i'm taking a long time to answer it and being, it's fine, and being it's boringly fine. thoughtful so <laughs> it's fine, my, it's fine. i don't know if you've watched the sunny podcast but cut that cut that cut that cut that uh, yeah it's all staying uh, yeah, yeah oh god oh no please please do, you're, do you're giving me work do, do a favor do a favor to your audience and, and trim me down please you're just people giving are, me work here. people are at home are like do it do it better growing old as we speak watching the paint dry uh, uh watching the paint dry with guest heath Collins. Um, yeah i mean i I, certainly there are differences uh but i i um i don't know i look at shows like you know westworld or breaking bad or Mm -hmm. or or even even something like dave or atlanta um uh or righteous gemstones like this one of my favorite shows on tv right now yeah it's fantastic and those are like i can tell a difference between a danny mcbride episode and the jody hill episode and and i don't think that those like sure i guess danny's neck is on the chopping block because he's the creator of the show but like Hmm. i don't know i i'm of a mind of like the more we get out of our own ideas of ownership and our own ideas of like ego one mm-hmm. it's going to be we're going to be more enjoyable people to be around period mm-hmm. we're going to be in more enjoyable collaborators to work with and ultimately if you find a group of people where everybody is doing that to a certain extent i, I really think the work ends up being better amazing yeah um yes. and and so I, I don't know, but maybe I'm also just terrified of the idea of my neck being on the chopping block <laughs> and I'm trying to like tell myself that that's not, not, not as important of a case. But. Well, I agree with everything you're saying. And I think that when it, at least with my career, when it comes down to, <clears throat> I, uh, you almost have to have two personalities, especially when you're pitching films and you're trying to, you're, or if you're pitching a TV show, there's this sense of like, you need to have a sort of an, an ego to be able to pitch. Sure. Right. And you need to have like that front facing, like this is my thing and this is my vision and this is what's going on. And all those millions of dollars and that neck you're putting on your line to say that it's going on. I have the ego to float this thing and make this thing. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just sort of walk out of that office and you try to like take that, cl- the, the, that outfit off and then just be like, <clears throat> and just dump it. And you form, you mentioned it before, but you form these people, these relationships around you that, know everything that you do second language and so you know scorsese having that editor consistently everybody having those folks that are consistent on their crew you need you need that stuff and at the end of the day when i finish a piece you'll hear me say it all all over the place it's like you like that shot i didn't design that shot that was the assistant director and the and the cinematographer did i was just a tastemaker they 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 made all that stuff yeah that's that's what the game is i think if it was just me being a dictator, I'd be so fucking bored with everything that I was doing. Yeah. You know, and I think the stories would suck and the, the material would be terrible. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you drew an, an like, there's definitely a difference between like selling your idea mm-hmm. and getting, you know, and, and convincing an, an investor uh, that, or a studio, whatever, to, uh, to buy into your idea. I mean, shit, I think Margot Robbie even had this story recently that was, she's like, it's like came in and pitched Barbie and was like, yes, it's a billion dollar idea. This is going to make a billion dollars. <laughs> and the idea of like, well, she's right. Um, yeah. and, and turns out that she was, but could very easily have not been not right. Been uh, yeah. I mean, a billion dollars is a, is a lot of money. And, um, so even like 
that's sales. And my, yeah. my, my grandfather's a salesman, my, my father's a salesman, my brother's a salesman. Like I, but that's not the same energy. Like once you get on set, once you have that money, <laughs> you, you're, don't need to you, sell you don't, yeah. And I think the more you try, and I think that's a, that was a trap kind of early on in, in my TV uh, career of like, the more you're selling that you belong there, Mm-hmm. the less confidence you inspire and mm-hmm. the more kind of like overwork you do um, on set. Uh, and yeah, I think like once you're, th- once you have the job, you have to uh, convince yourself, <laughs> um, uh, I guess first, um, or maybe you never convince yourself. Uh, you just keep, uh, keep lying to yourself enough, but <laughs> that you deserve to be in that room and that yeah. like, and the tree and treating everyone else in the room, as like, they, 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 they you know, we're all there. at the dance, yeah, like yeah. for a reason. So yeah. let's 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 groove. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, there's definitely like we have to wear a lot of hats. You know, there's yeah. the master of none, uh, or you know, jack of all trades, master, master of none, none is yeah. a little bit of I think our field uh, to certain to a certain degree. Uh, although I, every story I hear about like Fincher's, he like could pick up, he could like be a grip, or he could like be an electrician. <laughs> apparently, uh, at least that's this story. So he just kind of knows every single widget and bip and bob on every truck. And yeah, um, uh, I, yes, I and there's, there's a whole group of us that sort of come up through that. Because I started as a cinematographer, so there's a there's a level where you do try to know as much as you can, but uh, at the end of the day, um, you you really have to throw all that out and and focus on like playing and focus on being around people and being true. Yeah, and I think like those skills are fantastic, and kind of having an understanding of what when you say I want X, you know, I want this shot, I want it lit this way, I want to, you know, I want the camera in this position or whatever. It's I think it is good to have a little bit. of an understanding of what you're practically asking, how long it you know, take, and yeah. all. But but the flip side of that is, if you're ignorant of all of that stuff, you don't have any rules in your head. That's true. And so, like, if you ask somebody who has no idea what an automobile is to design a a a machine for conveyance of human beings, you might come up with. Most likely, you're going to come up with a thousand terrible <laughs> things that don't work. But maybe, there's but there's something yeah. in there's either maybe none of them work, but there are elements within some of them that can improve upon. Mm-hmm. And so there is a value in a certain degree of of ignorance, I think, um, or or selective ignorance. That said, I'm like constantly trying to to know more about about. Uh, different departments and, and yeah and <clears throat> yeah you make a good point because there are times where i'll where i'll be so wrapped up in how it's done and what's going on with it that i feel like i'm restricting myself when i'm starting there's definitely times where that's been the case but then there's the other times which is most of the time which is like you have no fucking money you have no time like we're running out of time and you have you know 15 shots scheduled and you've only got time for five how do you make this work and i feel like all those those things usually come to to my aid when oh, I'm in for a situation. Sure. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And especially, I think when you're working on like on you know short films or indie mm-hmm. stuff, and and having a, a, a knowing a way to. Um, but I will say, like, if you're you've got 15 shots planned, and you got time for five. I actually think the the knowledge that's going to get you to a solution that fits the limited you know time resource you have 99.9 percent of the time 
is less about, okay, shit, what's the, what do I know technically that I can get 10 of these 15 shots and I can do them really quick. Mm -hmm. I think actually the skill that is more beneficial is, okay, what story is each of these shots telling? Yes. And what, what don't I need in the story? Like, what is this, what, 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 what is this scene? What are these moments actually about? And can, and I know if it's about the disorientation, it's about the kinetic energy. It's about how frenetic and, 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 and out of control it is. Okay. Well, we have 15 shots planned and they're all like these curated, beautiful shots and it's going to be lit beautifully. Or you say, fuck it don't block it don't tell the camera operator where the actor is going to go and we're going right now and mm-hmm. it's going to be a one or it's going to be we're going to shoot we're going to shoot it in one and then we're going to see what's left over and then we're going to pick up the three angles we need from the one because it's about chaos yeah because it's about you know uh, the energy of that um and and so i don't know i feel like there's a trap in the technical stuff because mm-hmm. it's one it's one of the only things as a director that is that is objective and knowable. Like you actually can learn it. Like there is science between aperture and depth of field. Yes. You know, there and, and those things are highly learnable. And that's not really our job. Like our job is to be an awesome audience member. Yes. <clears throat> our job is to be an empathic, insightful human being and 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 a, and a narrative shepherd. Mm-hmm. And I think that stuff is less, that's more subjective than objective. Mm-hmm. So as a result, it's harder to teach. Very much so. And it's, a, it's harder to learn. And you can never fully learn it. You can fully learn all the like, other tech the stuff. Other, sure. other stuff. And, and to a degree, I mean, you can't because obviously it's tech and like computers. Like it's whatever you learned is now obsolete six months from now. You're always chasing it. Yep. You're always chasing it. So it's, <clears throat> it's, an, it's both, it's simultaneously an objective, uh, finite, learnable thing, mm-hmm. but also it's not because they, like the technology is just constantly piling on. And I think a lot of what I see in a lot of short films and what I see in a lot of of like young filmmakers, not that I'd like to consider myself still a young filmmaker, even though I'm not. Um, <laughs> if you were doing video, the, your audience could see how gray my beard is. Um, but they can't, so it's all black. Um, and I'm very young. I'm 27. Uh, but I think, um, sorry, stupid run out of bad jokes and I lost my train of thought. Um, no, I, so I, I think that... Um, learning oh yes the things when i watch you know people send me hey do you have pointers on my short or whatever so much of what i see is the problem is like a lot of shit looks great now yeah yeah technology has made it much easier much easier to make things look good lighting technology you can plug it right into your wall you don't need a generator you don't need a lot of power you leds and so you know these lights completely program programmable and you have an ipad and you can dial in a million colors and you can you, um, it, it's it's less and less that it doesn't look pro, mm-hmm. and more and more I find that it's I just don't I don't know these aren't I don't know who these human beings are I yeah. don't know who these these aren't these characters feel like function or functionary like functional cogs to make your story move forward but I don't know why they're there I don't know why you're telling this it's that stuff that feels like less and less I. 
I, I feel like that be, that's become the deficiency that that I see. And again, like, who the fuck am I? I you know, I've, no, I've, but it's it's dude, it's one hundred percent true. And and to you know, bring my my work into it, it took <clears throat> when when we were in COVID. And I've it, heard of it. I heard of yeah, it. You remember I'm aware. It, I'm yeah. familiar. And we were about to go on a feature that got yanked away. So I thrust thrust my me into depression, thrust everything into really like a shitty place. I was uh, reading at the time, because uh, I had her on the show, I was reading Judith Weston's books, directing actors and all that stuff. And and being a, a a director that came from very much the technical side for years, commercials and everything else that I was doing, I always, I joke about this on the show, when I was younger, actors were like a, a herd of fucking unicorns that I didn't want to go over and scare away as like a technical director. And so I got very lucky with a lot of the people that I worked with that were able to sort of translate what I was trying to say into a completely different medium. And when I w- worked... I read this book and I worked with a real close friend of mine. I don't know if I sent you one of these shorts, but the last one I did was this whole new discovery on. Was that twelve kilometers? No, that one I did oh. in two, 2016. Right. So there's a the, a new one that I just did that I spent four months just developing a character with an actor, and it was just through communication and questions, and just sort of falling into this hole of who this character could be. And everything else sort of filled in the blanks. So like all of the other tech stuff that I used to do and was 100% focused on became sort of this background language that was already there just in the back. And it was just us sitting here having this conversation and me going, well, that's fucking fascinating. And you want to, that's interesting. What if this happens? And what if that? Okay, cool. And then we just developed this character. And then that second language would fill in the blanks for me. And I'd go, I know how I'm going to shoot this. Don't worry about how I shoot it. I got it. We'll take care of that. Yeah. You know? Um, but it it took me forever to learn that, and that that is something that I feel like they don't make YouTube videos about. That isn't something that is. Well, you can't really. I mean, you, there's some stuff. You know, there's some like uh, Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey, and Dan sure, Harmon, Story Circle, and and that, I think that stuff is very very helpful. Um, but, but it's yeah. also very dry and very unemotional when you're looking at that sort of thing. Well, I think that stuff is dry and unemotional i think structure is yeah. and and uh, and there and but and i think to you know so are, so is diagramming sentences but it, it's it's no better way to understand how the how the how the, how the english language works than, than being there on the chalkboard <laughs> i'm aging myself now if anybody thought i was serious about being 27 i'm definitely not now he's just for time traveling sentences a- <laughs> um yeah i mean that but it, it's also just very hard to to learn that in any way other than doing it. I mean, I, yeah. I came from a, uh, I was a theater director. I was a theater kid. I, mm-hmm. I never thought this, this Hollywood and the film world was, seemed completely inaccessible to me. So I, uh, I thought, I mean, my mom was a nurse. I thought I was going to be a doctor and, uh, and I was just doing like theater and speech and debate to be like more, have a better bedside manner and to be better in interview. Cause I was like the dumbest smart kid. Um, I, uh, so I was like, Oh, I'm not going to have as good a grades as these other kids, but I'll be more personable and I'll do better in the college interviews. I was very thinking very far ahead. This is me in like seventh grade. Uh, and then of course that just took over and, and that's what I ended up pursuing, but it wasn't until like, I have no formal training really in, in film. Um, and it wasn't until after I finished grad school that I even really, well, in grad school, I started screwing around with the camera a little bit and started shooting some stuff. And then right after I started making sketches and things. And mm-hmm. uh, so all the tech stuff I had to, I was kind of the other side. I had to, I had to learn all of that 
uh, on my own and, and thankfully through some, some very kind, generous people who share their knowledge with me. But, um, yeah, the working with actors and I mean, story is just, that's all. I mean, we're middle of a middle of a writer strike because people are trying to, people seem to forget that that's the beginning of everything. Everything. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I was watching, I watched three movies yesterday, three very different movies. I watched, uh, I went to the theater and I saw Barbie mm-hmm. and then I came home and watched the Lego movie because Barbie made me think so much about the Lego movie. <laughs> uh, and then I watched Des- uh, Descent, um, one of my favorite horror movies. Wait, the, um, the, the Descent, the, the, uh, the cave? Yeah, the group of women that, yeah, that's the, a great the one. spelunking. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fantastic. It's terrifying. And, um, and uh, Lego Movie and uh, The Descent, within the first, like, I mean, 90 seconds, maybe 120 seconds, you're, like, hooked yeah. into the characters. And uh, spoiler alert, but for those of you who haven't seen The Descent, but within the first couple minutes of The Descent... The um, the hair, main the main the protagonist she her, loses her husband in a terrible accident yeah and her child yeah. in a in an absolutely terrible accident and within the first two minutes uh, maybe maybe I'm exaggerating maybe it's three and a half minutes but uh, she's lost her entire family and then you see her react to that because she's in a uh, really really fucked up th- for this automobile accident and there's this great sequence. Uh, where you don't know if she's dead or alive. It's it's very subjective. You don't know where she is, and she you discover that she's like in the hospital, and her friend is is consoling her. But within like two and a half to three minutes, you're completely hooked on the on this person's emotion. You don't know that much about her. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't necessarily you know look like you or talk like you or have a life like you and you don't know like her socioeconomics or any of that really i mean i guess you can defer some you can infer some of that from like the car they're driving but but (laughs) there's such a basic human everyone can understand loss everyone can understand and um and lego too barbie's interesting because it kind of starts with this prologue that's not really about it's about an idea more than it is about a person. Mm. Um, but yeah, I feel like that is just more and more getting lost. I think, I think the forms of storytelling that are, um, popular right now, you know, I'm like an old man, but like TikTok and these, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and YouTube and like, there's mm-hmm. not, um, I don't know. There's, 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 uh, there's not as much, it doesn't seem like there's as much just, Hey, here's a human being going through a thing that you could probably relate to, whether mm-hmm. that's a, a, a great thing or a bad thing or a loss or, or a challenge. Or, and, and I think that's harder to learn how to write. I think that's a lot harder to learn how to, to direct. I think mm-hmm. that's, it's harder to learn how to like, Oh, okay. What are the salient aspects of this journey? What are the salient aspects of this, of this protagonist, this antagonist, the supporting character that, that the audience needs to m- most needs to hook into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. That's just slip more slippery than than the technical side of things. And well, yeah, and the technical um, stuff is very flashy. And it's easy. You purchase it, and like it, it's. I don't want to say it's. It's less time consuming. I feel like there's a there's a sense of like trying to break a story and trying to figure out human, trying to figure out humans, trying yeah. to be empathetic and and learn to be empathetic is it's a time consuming thing. And and it, there's a reason why great storytellers are older because they've had more experiences. They've had more things that they've been through and. 
And I'm not saying that young kids can't tell great stories, but there's a certain level of like, you know, your parents have to die. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> something has to happen. Go through some, you. go through some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's important. I think it's, yeah. it, and it's hard it, when you're younger, you want to just sort of race to the, to the finish line. You know, you want to be like, you want to be David Fincher. You want to be Michelle Gondry. You want to be these, these, you see something, you go, I can replicate that. I can make that. And then that, becomes part of the learning process well you can replicate it like i say that's one thing that's interesting vis-a-vis -vis ai is yeah. like you can replicate it you can make a thing that looks like it mm -hmm. uh for sure mm -hmm. uh i don't know if it's if it might be kind of hollow uh but you can make a thing that looks like it um which again it's just it just feels yeah uh i don't know what we're talking about now but it does it does feel like a little bit of um losing some of the I don't want to say like harder soul. I mean, it's, it feels like it's losing like the infrastructure. Well, yeah. I mean, because <laughs> I don't want to use the show's name in here, but the process of it for me, at least is you got to go through it to do it. You got to make all these mistakes to do it. You got to find, you got to, you got to rely on the people around you to make it. There has to be some, a, a sense of discovery. And then the thing that you create, which oftentimes we're kind of embarrassed by becomes the thing that you're known for, becomes the style, becomes the thing that someone's trying to replicate later on. And it's through the discovery and all those mistakes and all that learning that you do along the way as humans, which is very imperfect, um, that you find something that someone else sees as, as inspired and someone else sees as, as interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I do, th I, I, uh, I will say in, in regards to making something that you're embarrassed of, uh, like do that. Yeah. Get st I, one of the things I learned most from the from rob charlie and glenn and mostly um mostly rob just because i feel like it's a it's a drum that he bangs a lot it's like get to the failure faster like <laughs> get to the fuck up faster um i think it's i think it's um partly i think that's kind of the pixar model too of just like get it out and then we'll make it better and then get it out and we'll make it better and don't be embarrassed of the of the of the first iteration of something um well this is the ultimate fear that what you put out you're going to be judged on and then you're not going to have another opportunity to it i think a lot of people feel that way about yeah it. yeah which is all i think also why like a lot of the same people want to work together over and over is once you have a uh, a space and a group that you feel safe enough around to like put out the terrible idea or or just have a really off day and mm -hmm. and not and kind of and feel safe that like that's not going to be the end of this relationship uh <laughs> yeah. I, i'll still be able to uh it's not going on my grave i'll still. be able to arrive i'll be able to come back to this place tomorrow and these people won't shun me <laughs> uh hopefully at least mm -hmm. um yeah yeah that is something that like technology has made uh it easier. It's like just just make it. I mean, there's yeah. the like the, my phone is a better camera than yeah. uh, than I could have had when I was 25 years old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know by far. Yeah, um, yeah. So make things, make yeah. make bad things. Yeah, and then make some more things that maybe would be slightly less bad than the f first thing you made. Well, and then like you know making the, the the stuff that doesn't work out well, I feel like that feedback is always more positive and more encouraging. But also, I learn more from feedback from something that I that I think I failed on than I do if everybody's like, it's great, it's awesome. And you're like, cool, but... <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> what, sure. What about all the stuff that isn't awesome? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great, it's good. Okay, all right. 
So I shouldn't change anything now. <laughs> well, you've just got friends that are too nice to you. Yeah. That's no, your problem. No. You, you need new friends. You need more critical friends. I've got plenty on the internet right now. <laughs> oh, I bet. Plenty. I bet. I'm sure. Uh, this is stupid. What's wrong with you? Oh, my God. Yeah. Good. Like some of the comments on uh, the the last Sunny episode. I like I I'm not as I'm not a highly involved in like Twitter and and, yeah. and stuff like that. I, I have fits and starts. I, I did get a little involved on on twitter in the with the labor negotiations and stuff but um but i i popped into the sunny reddit uh and there's mostly i mostly the the fans have been very positive and 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 had some like have actually some have actually engaged with me on like questions about like how was that shot or what did you do there but, but yeah man there's some people that like clearly just want to just dump on you oh. uh, yeah uh, it's it's uh they're my favorite actually and i don't know if you've seen the stuff that i've been doing but my favorite is I just, saw, to, just i, I saw two shorts of yours yeah okay. um i saw who's there and 12, 12 kilometers, kilometers yeah. um but i haven't done a deep dive on your social media footprint so 12 kilometers uh i talk about this in nausea but 12 kilometers is uh has been viral since november and uh, I put this thing out on a podcast. It was a half joke. This past November. Yes. But you made it in 2016. Yes. So six years after yes. it was made, it has it is now in the midst of, of a viral. viral moment. Yes. Because I was on a show and I someone asked me, hey, how do we see 12 Cam? Because it's not public. And right. I said, jokingly, I was like, ah, oh, you send me three favorite horror movies. And if I agree with you, then maybe. Right. I, saw, I know. I, and, and that took off. And that fucking just went to the roof. That's and, within the within the horror community, which is like a pretty active like like fervor of a within community. the horror community, but also like all over the place, like yeah. Turkey and like I've got like you know twenty two year old girls begging me to watch a movie about a bunch of old Russian dudes <laughs> that isn't in English. So it, I think it was more the experience that everybody was excited about the fact that like they had to they were able to communicate with the director, the fact that they were able to give their opinion on what they think horror is. What podcast were you on where this happened? I did it on my show, and then I went on like the Corridor podcast. I think that's where it really picked up. And those dudes, did they, and do they have like some crazy following their they, podcast? They had some. And then what happened was a guy that listened to them on their show listened to my thing, wrote to me. I didn't even know who he was. Wrote to me. I sent him the stuff, and then a few days later, I had a few hundred DMs, and I went, "Oh, well, someone obviously listened to my show," so I answered. And then the next day, I had a few thousand DMs. Yeah, and I was like, "What the fuck's going on?" And I found the video, and this this kid made a video. He did. He only had a few thousand people. I mean, he made a video that was like, "Here's the rules. Here's what's happening." And at the end, smartly, he put, "Is this director a genius or pretentious?" And that's the question he put. <laughs> and that's that spun all sorts of hate. So like that that's thing really became funny. a hate reel, which then went viral. And All so right. since then, it's been consistent. You've been a, you've been a lightning rod. <laughs> Amazing for, for, for uh, a people's opinion on horror movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. That and people trying to tell me to fit my movie up my ass, which is also a really fun yeah. response. That that's I'm getting. I mean, that seems excessive as a response. <laughs> well, it's hard to fit it's, in it's, there. It's, 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 <laughs> well, and it's also like I watched it, and it's not like. I don't see why anybody would be uh, made irate by it. There's not. There's maybe it's uh, the naked men at the end. 
I guess. I don't know. Spoiler alert, dude. Uh, yeah, yeah. For, the, for the, all of your listeners who haven't, who just listen to your like, podcast, fuck. they just won't, won't watch your stuff, but are just going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. I don't like his movies, but I like his podcast. <laughs> I enjoyed both of them, by the way. They, they're, 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 uh, they're both really, uh, really well done. Uh, Thanks, horror shorts, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a genre I really love. I've, I've haven't really, uh, messed around with it too much. I've done a couple like, uh, you know, kind of horror comedy things, but nothing that's like straight down, straight down the, we're going to spook you. I um, love it, man. It's my favorite. Yeah. I really want to do, I, I've been, I've been working. I have an, I, I have this idea that I can't quite fully wrap into a, um, like what the exact story is, but I have a monster, but I don't know the story for this monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I, it, it's, it keeps haunting me. It has for a long time. Um, so well you never know when it's gonna you never know when it's gonna find itself yeah yeah there when i think the two genre the genre you know obviously for those who have listened to this long and don't know um, i primarily work in comedy yeah so we should probably i've done a really bad job saying that. yeah well the whole, this intro you're gonna have to the intro that you're gonna record later you better really do, do some heavy intro. lifting um you're gonna lay a lot of pipe <laughs> It's only a lot of exposition in the first minute of this Everybody podcast. Everybody loves a movie that starts with exposition. Yeah, yeah. It's well, either that or just confuse them. In a minute, we're going to just jump back 10 years in time, right? Like, like, There's a plot twist here in the middle. He does comedy. Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. But I think the two are like, they're the two most similar genres. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think most of the mechanics of them in regards to creating an expectation for the audience, building suspense for an audience, misdirecting the audience, and then paying it off with a scare or a laugh. uh, I think the the functionality of those things are super similar. And and I think in regards to being the two least forgiving of genres in regards to like, you kind of know if you accomplished what you're after or not. (laughs) You either made people scream or made people laugh or you didn't. didn't yeah and and, in the, and i think you know again not having worked a ton in horror i can't speak fully to it but it seems like those things um are you know are shared uh, qualities of both genres i completely agree with you and having not fully worked in comedy and having a lot of friends that have and i've done a couple of small things with it it feels very similar and it really it is about that audience expectation i mean that's ultimately that's all horror is, is it's just build 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 build, 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 moment, build, build, build. And even when you, I was talking about with this new piece, when I'm sound mixing and I'm sound designing it, we'll, we'll, we'll go through and we'll figure out the peak levels for the entire piece and like, when are we going to get to here? Oh, yeah. And so then you're designing it so that the audience, especially the impatient assholes at home that are like, I can't hear it. And they turn it up and like, oh, you're fucked later. Because <laughs> we've specifically designed it for that. So it is fun. I, I love horror for that reason. I think it's the the audience out of all the genres. The audience is in on you playing, yeah, more than any other genre for sure. Yeah, unfortunately, comedy is so reliant on language and it doesn't travel internationally. And yeah, it's so we're I think right now kind of facing a real challenging point. Oh, fascinating. Um, yeah, because everything's like, how are we gonna? How is it gonna be international? Like that's the the market has to be international and. 
horror travels so well. Yeah. Um, but that's I, part of the reason why you had you have a barbarian, but you don't have the comedy analog of that. You don't have a four to seven million dollar comedy. That's you don't, like you don't, it's huh? and and if you do, well, you have them. They're all on the streamers and they're never theatrically released. And they're buried. Uh, and they're buried. And um, so there's and I've been a couple of production companies I've been talking to lately about this exact thing. And the kind of Trojan horses become horror comedy, yeah. Um, you know, like the blackening or something, where sure. like oh, it can travel because of certain aspects of it. Um, but yeah, it's it's tricky with comedy because so much of it is cultural, so much of it is like literal wordplay that like once you translate it, it just doesn't Screwed, work. Yeah. Um, so that's been a real, it's a, I think a real challenge for uh, for comedy, and why partially I'm I'm hopeful that what's currently happening with studios and, and the strike and everything. And I might be naively hopeful in this, but I feel like there's, there's a possibility for a return of like the mid budget film. One would hope I did. I mean, I, I had a, an economist on the show and we were talking about how Hollywood got to the point where it became such a fucking monopoly. And like the answer was, San Francisco. <laughs> the, the answer was tech. The answer is a big part of that, but the answer is also Ronald Reagan. The answer is all sorts of stuff. <laughs> like the answer is is the the laws that were quietly written in the background, where suddenly you can be the person that's making something and distributing something in the same house. Like there's all all these things that have happened to make this business incredibly hard to work through, and we were talking about the streaming stuff, and without getting too crazy about this, but. It's going to come out that they're not making the money that they're claiming that they're making. And th- at what at what point as human beings can we go, oops, and step back two steps and go, right, 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 right. Right. We had, a bi- we, had a bi- we had a business model that was working for a century. Exactly. Well, can we go back and maybe alter that slightly, but can we just back it up a bit? I mean, it looks exactly to me, and this is why I say it's – I don't think it's anybody's fault other than tech. I think it's fully their fault. Um, they they, they, uh, they uh, fucked up so uh, many uh, industries. Uh, well, yeah, and, and I think if you look at if you look at Uber, which is essentially a taxi dispatcher, mm-hmm. um, I think the analog between like what we do is fairly simple. We tell stories, and yes, there's a lot of complexity behind that. Blah 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 blah. blah but it's it, on a certain level, no more complex than driving a car. Yeah, and there is no world where in reality a taxi dispatcher is worth a trillion dollars <laughs> no matter how uber tried to to make it so and so you had this period of time where you could get to lax for those of you listening elsewhere that is the airport in los angeles it's and, a it's, and it's a nightmare to get to it's a nightmare to get to and you know it's, it's usually like 50 or 60 dollars to get there by by cab back in the day yeah and then uber came along and it was 12 dollars. and you're like how is this possible right. how is it possible to have 20,000 200,000 hours of content for $9 a month. It's possible because everybody either driving that Uber or making that stuff is getting completely and utterly fucked. fucked. That's how it's possible. Yeah. Well, dude, it goes all the way back to fucking Napster. Right. But the difference there was that it was like destroyed and shut down because it was like, <laughs> "Hey, this is just fucking theft." <laughs> and for a minute, we were like, and then and then unfortunately someone's like, "But wait." <laughs> 
we'll give them point zero 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 one penny. Yeah, and all the, uh, for, all the artists uh, are like, uh, yay. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, but I mean, <laughs> there's a whole so there's a whole hole I could dig in. But I know, but we're probably I don't know if that if that I wish that we could see if like the the call was lighting up <laughs> and we could see if people were interested in this or if they wanted to hear about like dick and fart jokes instead. Well, um, you're on we, my show, could so we, they're used to. Can we pause and do a quick like throw out to your to your viral your people and be like, do you want? I'm in here with this dude. He's a comedy dude. He's not an economist. He knows really nothing about macroeconomics, but he's he's holding court. And would you rather him continue? Or? They're used to a moron holding court on the show all the time, and he yeah. hosts it. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. So, um, but yeah, dude. To, to sort of like wrap up that thought, it is. I believe that you're right with the tech thing, and I've been saying this for quite some time that, like, because in my business, as a photographer, I started as a photographer, that job's gone. Tech fucking killed that job. And there's a handful of people that have the ability to be a photographer right now, but most of them are trust fund kids that really don't need to get paid for anything. Mm. Then you play in the music video world. Music video industry, there was a period of time where that could be your career, being right. a music video yeah, director. Yeah, we got million-dollar budgets on music videos. Yeah, man, and that's dead, right? That's gone because they got rid of that. They changed it with the tech. And album, like, well, and like that was a big part of album sales. Exactly. And like the entire industry got when you have cratered. When you have three floors of a record label shutting up shop and converting it down to five people, and then they go to you as the person that is going to help make the advertisement for their fucking uh, their celebrity to sell the tickets for that tour and they go, ah, it's only going to go online so we're not going to give you the same budget that we had on MTV. That's the same shit that they're doing right now yeah. with this industry. So we've seen it multiple times and we've seen this sort of get rich quick, almost dot com bubble bullshit that is going to run its way through all these businesses. The difference with this industry and why I feel a little more hopeful is it is Highly unionized yes. and highly educated. Yes. And there are fortunately a group of people within it that have the means financially to uh, dig in a little bit. And, and the reality of this city and and to a great to a slightly lesser extent the entire state is like so fucked if this business gets hollowed out like yeah. it, the, the, the like what's what has happened in San Francisco like extrapolate that out to the state and <laughs> yeah. and multiply it by a by a by a you know an exponential degree if you know you're talking about the that loss of jobs loss of tax base loss of all of that like so i don't think I don't know, and I might be having rose-colored lenses here, but I think it's going to work out for us to better than it has for a lot of other industries. I hope so. But you, and again, even that though, you look back at Uber. Like the hopeful thing there is now it's sixty dollars to drive to take an Uber to LAX because the driver's now actually getting paid. <laughs> it just drives me the Uber thing, and this is the last thing I'll say. The Uber thing drives me crazy because it's like see it for what see it for what it is. They come in. They don't really do anything. They design an app. A taxi. Convince, it's a taxi dispatcher. They convince us, the people that are unemployed, that need some money, this is great income for you. Well, and it's like a drug dealer. Like the the first thing you do when you're not that I'm a again a drug dealer. I have less experience <laughs> to be clear, less experience as a drug kingpin <laughs> than I do even as an economist. But you come in and you you know you give your product for free. Yeah. 
you give your product for super cheap and you get people hooked and that's the business that's like they basically are operating like a a drug dealer's like business model well and at the end of the day what you're doing is you're financing their research on automating the cars anyways mm. so then they'll get rid of you so they say that you're going to have a career at this when all you're doing is researching the the or funding the research and development for the automation of vehicles that is also just running people over and not actually going to work for far longer than they keep saying it's going to work. <laughs> it's right around the corner. We're, we're two days away from being the Jetsons. It's totally going to happen. Yeah, I hope not. Uh, that's the last thing I need on my Amazon subscription every month is also what vehicle I'm going to go to the grocery store in today. <laughs> but anyway, let's change the topic. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Come on. Let's, uh, well, the reason I reached out to you was that uh, I've been... Yeah, let's get to the meat of the matter. Let's get to the meat of you. Yeah, like, yeah. like I've been a fan of Always Sunny for a long time now. And um, I saw uh, the past few episodes in the new season, and the ones that really really stood out to me were the ones that you directed. And I thought that the last one, the Dennis takes... <laughs> Dennis a takes mental a health, mental, mental health mental day. Health day. That one wasn't even funny to me. There was, I was sitting here on the couch. Uh, okay. I was sitting here on the couch. Is and that G a good thing? Gina said to me, she goes, this entire episode is you. Like everything that he goes yeah. to is me. So I, I was feeling. <laughs> for sure. It's, uh, for, those, for, the, for those of you who don't know, it's basically, first off, where have you been? The show's been on for 16 seasons. <laughs> uh, catch up. But um, it's essentially Glenn Howerton's character, uh, Dennis Reynolds. Um, My favorite on the show, by the way. He's great. Um, he tries to have like a very peaceful, like calming day. And then his... Uh, he finds out he has high blood pressure and so he gets a watch to help monitor it and it starts fucking with him and then he has to get a rental car and the rental car fucks and it's this long series of basically everything we've all as 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 citizens of 2023 I don't know I don't want to say America like the world uh, have experienced with you know customer service call lines uh, and automated uh, auto calls and all that so it's it's just him kind of running up against every modern frustration um, uh, culminating in a, a kind of surreal dream, <laughs> dream, dream moment that a bit of horror in there. Yeah, like a, yeah, 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 for sure. And I, I tell you, I, I between me and um, my VFX guy John Myers, who's fantastic. Uh, he's just a killer. Um, he, I probably watched like. I would I would venture to say perhaps every single heart rip that has been recorded in film or television. What is all right, so what is one of your favorite heart rips? Um the one I did. Uh no. Um <laughs> Well, obviously like the Temple of Doom one is great. Um but the thing I quickly noticed about all of them yep. um is the cut pattern is identical. Yep. Pretty much on all of them. It's the 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 ripper's hand on the victim's chest a close-up reaction of the victim. Yep. And then, depending on budget level uh, and speed at which the heart rip is happening, a close-up insert shot of... Like a dummy body. Of a dummy body. Yeah. Um, and that's even, like, on a high-budget level, that's that's Temple of Doom. Yep. Which is fantastic. Yep. But um, one thing that I wanted to do was not cut away. <laughs> and so the shot... Of this now, I guess you the, we've spoiled that. They Dennis rips a, a human's heart out. Yeah, this uh, show's uh, been out for a while. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the episode's been out a while, so catch up, y'all. Yeah. Um, but 
I didn't want to cut away. So we were on his face and it's a dolly back and we never leave that shot. So you watch that whole action and that, that, and on, and again, I had a teacher a long time ago who said, if you think you're being original, you just haven't done enough research. So I'm probably haven't done enough research, but I'm pretty sure that it hasn't been shot that way before. That's pretty rare. Um, and I, and the only time you've ever seen it, and not cut away is when it's the like super fast punch rip, through rip, like it's yeah. a like it's a vampire and they're doing it one of my favorite ones is um it's fast but it's and it's not so much the heart rip it's the action right afterward but it's uh scars guard in true blood oh okay. and he rips it out which is quick but then he like drinks out of what i guess the, what would be the, the aorta is, yeah <laughs> Um, or no, uh, yeah, maybe it's aorta. Somebody who out there who has a heart anatomy can tell me better. Um, that was really great. It's like it's like ripped to the point where like a part of the the, the like large arteries like a straw. straw yeah. kind of, that was nice. But I, I would say before we continue, my favorite is uh, Dreamscape. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that subway train. Yes, it, probably because I saw it as a child and that fucked me. Yeah, up. Uh, yeah. I remember watching. Um, phantasm as a child that was one of the i had a brother i have a brother uh that's nine years older than me so i was like at so you figure like typically you get way into horror around like 15 14 Mm -hmm. 16 (laughs) so i'm like six (laughs) so i i saw texas chainsaw massacre when i was like eight years old that's a horrible one to Um, see when you're eight years uh, old and and we were we i grew up in texas so (laughs) my brother's like this happened like about 45 minutes from here. <laughs> and could, we could drive down to where it happened and see the actual place. And you're like, psychopathic hicks. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I've yeah. seen them I've, before. I'm, around, I'm, I'm <laughs> deeply, intimately familiar with, yeah, that. And um, I, and I remember um, like the first time I saw boobs on a, a movie oh was. My God. Um, oh my God. Uh, so uh, I, my, it was like, two days before Christmas and my whole family was home and like, you know, they were downstairs watching HBO and American werewolf in London was on HBO. And Uh I like snuck down from my, my bed and I was like hiding behind the Christmas tree. Cause so it was like the Christmas tree. And then there was a sofa facing the television. So that was like, I was like peeking behind the Christmas tree watching American werewolf in London. And I think, I believe that movie was the first place that I saw naked adult torso lady adult torso (laughs) i try to think of what mine was maybe it was lethal weapon too oh yeah yeah yeah. but also the american werewolf in london uh that that body transformation which still to this day is uncanny it's unreal um so that was like kind of formative again horror very very formative i think probably more than any other genre that was what i was watching yeah you know as a as a as a youngster and then i think like comedy started to be a thing um i mean i was always just like a ham and a goofball but i think like probably more when i started when i was like in junior high is when i started like really getting into what was it about comedy that really spoke to you well the first off is that that i had i mean i was not a big kid and so a quick way to not get picked on was making people laugh like Mm -hmm. that old you've heard this story a million times um (laughs) so like the i like just being funny and then realizing like oh i i'm i'm i can do i have an ability to like come up with things that make people giggle Mm -hmm. um and then uh peewee herman paul (laughs) rubens that was uh, you know that was uh i mean peewee's big adventure i've 
probably watch that movie. Like, I think I like broke the VHS tape that fucking, I had. Fucking Pee Wee's Playhouse. Uh, I was yeah. on that every yeah. day. Um, and you know, cartoons are are largely comedic, mm-hmm. uh, especially like you know age appropriate cartoons. So that was a big that was a big thing. And I remember like. Uh, Oh God! Exit stage left. That uh, that that cartoon. Oh, uh, oh that's like, Snaggle, not Snagglepuss. Yeah, yeah, Who the fuck was that? That was I, something. It was a cat. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Um, like so that 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 type of cartoon <laughs> yeah. really spoke to me. And then I and then it was like you know I think like uh, Three Amigos and like that, yeah. that you know, Naked Gun that kind of stuff when I was younger. And like you can't do that on television. Oh yeah, I remember. Uh, that was a big a big thing for me. Um, so it was basically that was kind kind of all I all I ingested as far as media was like funny stuff and scary stuff yeah uh, yeah yeah pretty much I mean that's I don't know that's still probably the main it's two. funny you and I came up with a lot of the same stuff man well yeah. we're you know probably similarly aged yeah but also like there's that little roadmap right something happens where like I decide that I like scaring people more and you decide that making people laugh is your thing that you're doing more. Like, well, and so much of that though was like, was theater. Like th- there's not a lot of horror in theater. That's true. Um, though I was, I did play John Harker in a production of Dracula. <laughs> um, and there was, it was in high school. We had a very, it was, we had a very like serious theater program at, uh, at the high school. It was, it was legitimately like good in our, my, my, go, my high, sc- high school in Arlington, Texas. Okay. I went to Martin high school. Um, Stacy Oristano, who was a, a series regular on um, Friday Night Lights, she played Tyra's older sister, who okay. worked at the who worked at the Landing Strip. Okay, I think I remember um, Billy Riggins' uh, uh, girlfriend and wife, mother okay. of his children. Okay, uh, I just rewatched Friday Night Lights. Yeah, that was uh, very specific. <laughs> um, she went to high school with me, but uh, yeah. So, um, but I, I did play John Harker in a production of Dracula, and one of the vampirettes the vampiresses yeah. uh, was like kind of method. And so she grew her fingernails really long. <laughs> and there's this like scene where I'm like getting tor- like tormented. It's like a f- I'm having a nightmare of vampires. I think it's like after I had been bid or something. I, I can't recall, but, and she had these long nails and she like literally scratched. I was like bleeding down my neck, but I was like 16 and so into it. Like, yeah, yes. feeling it. Audience couldn't see it at all, but man, we were really there. Eat your heart up, Mother Brenda. I'm yeah, coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a lot of horror typically though. I like we, we would definitely do. I remember like making videos for like English class. We had to do a Dante's Inferno. We could either write a group. Yes. Do like a group group presentation or a group essay or a group film and we made that was the first time i think i ever actually like picked up a camera yeah yeah. was i made a we made a dante's like going through the various levels of hell um (laughs) i want somewhere that video has to i'm sure it's awful and worthless but uh but that we did a lot of gory stuff like a lot you know harpies and stuff so cool and and, uh you know that that was that was a lot of fun but i I feel like with horror in general even when i'm doing stuff now i feel like i still am back at 15 years old and whenever we do some like fun little trick you know we just did this piece where like chains come out and wrap around this guy and and I was t- J- Carnahan was on the show. Did we you do were- it and shoot it in reverse? Yeah, yeah, Carnahan was on the show, and he's like, he he uh, wrote to me. He goes, "Bro, how'd you get the chains to?" And I go, "Dude, I just did it in reverse." Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, I love that trick. Like I love five. that trick so much. It's like fucking fifteen year old. Uh, really I did this thing, as I did this thing with. Um, I shot this. Uh, I've done a few commercials and some and, and some branded content. But I did this thing with Odell Beckham Jr. Uh-huh. Uh, you're familiar with the with the player. 
No. Uh, he's a NFL receiver. Uh, okay. And several years ago, gosh, at this point, like eight years ago, he, he was a rookie and he made this catch that's like one of the most outstanding catches in the history of professional football. Okay. And it's uh, he's uh, diving out of bounds. He's probably four and a half to five feet parallel to the ground. Oh, wow. In the air. Wow. And he's reaching back with his offhand and he catches it. And then the ball's out of bounds. And then he managed to get his feet down before. on the ground before he goes out of bounds. And it was so, it was like everywhere. And so this computer company that I was doing a spot for wanted to do that with a laptop and it like was part of the deal it was like the laptop's so light and, and, and uh, sturdy and whatever. So they wanted to like just throw it to him and have him recreate that catch. And like, of course he played for the giants. So the giants get involved because it's this guy, like his hand is worth tens of millions of dollars. And they're like, you're going to throw a hard plastic object at him. And, and I, and the NFL got involved in the NFL players association, like, oh, and, uh, yeah. and, um, but that, I, I, so I was like, we're fine. Don't worry. It, he's not going to have to do anything. Da, da, da. And I didn't, you know, they didn't fortunately, they didn't like press me on. I just was like, nothing will be thrown at him. I can guarantee that. And then we get there and I show, I shot a video myself of the reverse thing. So I yeah. just throw the laptop and uh, he comes up to me on the day and is like, how, you know, how, and he's really nice, guy, like superstar. Like we were shooting on a college campus during the summer and there was word got out that he was on the campus and like thousands of people showed up. Like this is a rock star level. And, um, and he's probably 23, yeah, five. It's crazy. And, uh, and he's like, how, you know, how are we going to do this? And I was like, you're just going to do it, man. And, uh, and I showed him the video of me doing it. I was like, I can do it. I'm not, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a television commercial writer. And he's like, and I, he's like, you can't do that. And I showed him the video. And then I, and then he's like, what, 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 how? And I, then I showed him that it was reversed. He's like, that's dope. <laughs> but that's the part. That's the, part, that's the reason I love to fucking make movies is for that. It's yeah. like, that, that's dope. It's like, and I think that's why I like doing things practically because you're on set, and if you if your buddy's next to you while you're shooting, and they go, "Whoa!" You yeah. go, "Fuck yeah!" This yeah. is the whole yeah, 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 purpose. Yeah. I also think, I mean, I don't know, so many things that require VFX, and I'm not talking about like obviously the heart rip required VFX. I'm not talking about. There's like, I love VFX for enhancement. Yes, I I don't love it for creation. No. Uh, that that's kind of and, and like you know like uh, like Fincher doesn't use any real blood anymore. It's all <laughs> digital, which I totally that I'm like okay, we're for not, resets and everything. Oh, else. Yeah, like, and, and, makes to, sense. and to have the and like we on the dentist thing, we used a small amount of practical blood so yeah. that VFX would have a kind of guidepost, but yeah. so much of it is enhanced and added. Um, so like that's not a thing that we. Like we've seen that in real life, so I don't mind I, that. I don't mind VFX doing that. Sure, type of, but when it, I don't know, and obviously, like I've watched pl- Phase Three up to Phase Three, I'm a fan of um, Marvel. Um, <laughs> uh, like, okay. I, I, I always feel like as soon as Endgame was done, I was kind of done. Yeah, like, that's great. Kind of, what it, a fantastic. it ended it all. Of it. Yeah, uh, it yeah, ended yeah. all of it. And 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 so, like, obviously, I'm not like oh, fuck CGI, but I kind of feel like it's I don't know the like. I, uh, when it's you're restrained with the use of it and when you force yourself to do things in a way either you're not going to do the thing yeah. that you that would require cgi and you're going to come up with something that 
most of the time I'm, I'm of the opinion is, is better, more exciting or, or, or makes the audience have wonder. Sure. Um, well dude, when I did 12 cam, I knew that I didn't have the money to do CGI. Yeah. You did all that fair, uh, fair, fair fluid. Yeah. I'm practical. Yeah. I did some similar stuff. Uh, the whole sequence was cut, but I did, um, some similar stuff for, uh, mythic quest. Oh, cool, uh, cool. With a cloud tank and with. Um, I love cloud tanks, man. Uh, and with. Um, I'm, fuck, I'm forgetting the name of the actual thing. It's a plate. It's a metal plate that you run sound through and it. Um, and it creates it's, different geometric patterns. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, um, it, it's, a, it's a sonic. Because it, I was examining that for 12 cam. It's. Um, there's a specific frequency that creates certain patterns. And if you put like a sub frequency. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah I, the it's something plate. Um, uh, but so I was. Fuck, pl- it's right there. Uh, uh, you guys look it up. We've given you enough information to Google <laughs> yeah, with this. Save go, me. go Google save it. Me from the it, headache. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we did all this practical <laughs> stuff with that kind of stuff. It got, and uh, sadly, the the sequence got cut, but um, not because that stuff wasn't cool. Um, but I love cut that for time, shit. Cut for time. Uh, but yeah, we were talking about the episode. And we got away from it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But dude, like. What I liked about the the last episode you did, the uh, Dennis takes a mental vacation, or what was it, mental holiday? Mental health day. Health day, that's what it was. Um, is that, A, you were going off, story-wise, you guys were going off on what we all wanted, which was like, Dennis, we all know that Dennis is a serial killer. We all know that that's in there. And the, there, there was something satisfying about us spending time with Dennis. But then there was also something really fascinating about the fact that you were – I don't know if that's happened on the show before. Have they just focused on one character? Yeah, yeah. I did um, the first person. We did uh, Being Frank, which is with yes. Inside Frank, which is all the first person POV, which I also directed. Yes. And Charlie Work is the, – the whole episode's a one and it's, but yes. that has the gang in it more. Right. Um, so there have been a couple, um, like one-offs in that, in that regard, but this one was, um, it's felt more cinematic in a certain way. It felt more almost like a, it almost felt like one of Glenn's like indie films that he would do anyways. <laughs> you know what I mean? See Blackberry. If you yeah. haven't seen Blackberry, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. He's so good in it. Yeah. Um, um, so sh- I have no, I have no connection to that film, but uh, shout out to Blackberry. <laughs> but it just felt satisfying. And then what was seemed to be really fun about that, and it, maybe you can say yes or no on this. It just seemed like you had a lot more liberties as far as how you would shoot that show as a, as opposed to what, the normal episode formula would be. Um, yeah, I mean, most, but you've done that a couple times with, with yeah, these characters. I mean, I've been I've been really lucky that I've done thirteen episodes, and I'd say probably six or more don't aren't on pattern episodes. Like yeah. uh, I did the ski school episode, so we were we were shooting <laughs> up in 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 you know in the mountains, and and there was a a film style that we were kind of aping. Um, or, or riffing off of. I did the Being Frank, which is first person POV. I did the Noir episode. So there, um, I've been, a, they've, they've fortunately f- given me some stuff to, to play around with a bit. This one, you know, it's interesting because like pretty much most of the scenes are just him and one other person and they're pretty yeah. straightforward cross coverage. Um, there are tiny little things that slowly, like they're little, mm-hmm. if you're watching a, a second or third time, like there are certain things that are more 
that start to like give a hint that something is off. Um, uh-huh. and, and there are some shots that are just not typical sunny shots that are a little more subjective. Like, um, when he's in the rental car, mm-hmm. uh, and there's that one shot of just the insert of her typing for forever. Like it's very unlike sunny to cut to an insert. Mm-hmm. Of, um, you know, and, and so there are a few things in it that like are, I think what makes it, you're saying cinematic, uh, um, I think what makes it like slightly just different or feel a little bit different is there's just a few more subjective things mm, going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and they get progressively more subjective as the episode goes. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody pointed out uh, online um, that one of the rear projection, first, so many people were like, there's so much green screen in this episode. Uh, green screen. I was like, actually, there's no green screen at all in the episode. Not to be like, fuck you. Cause I'm like, also like, it's a tool. I don't like, that's like saying, man, there's lights in this, like uh, whatever. Yeah. But I wasn't like, I was for those t- people that were commenting, I was like, no, it's, it's not. And they're like, well, how about the, the car driving? That's clearly green screen. I was like, oh no, that's rear projection. And so the car is surrounded by screens and this projection on. And then someone was like, why is he driving in Boston? Cause that one of the projection, one of the, the stock, you know, you just basically have stock video footage sure. that you're running, you know, while you're shooting the scene. And, um, and someone's like, Boston, what the hell? And I was like, is it a mistake or is it a clue <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that it's not really happening? Really happen- I don't know. I don't know. We'll never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll never know if it yeah. was a mistake or, yeah. or if it was just that all the Philly driving uh, video footage we got was not great. Or, <laughs> yeah, right. Or was it a hint? Who knows? Who knows? I, what, dude, I, what I liked about it is that it felt like. Because how many seasons are they in the sunny now? Is it 16. This 16? was 16, yeah. I think, it's a, I think it's a great place for it to go because it feels like Sunny's opening up a bit. And it isn't just – it's not just for the sake of production value. It's like they're opening up a bit with the characters and we're, we're, we're paying off uh, the, the setups that you guys have been working so long on with a lot of these characters. But also you just – it feels – it felt more dangerous, and that's that's what I what I started to like about it. So it oh. starts to break from, which I love the 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 formula that has been sunny for so long. And my favorite episodes, you know, the fucking courtroom episode yeah. with Guillermo del Toro. You start breaking those rules a bit. And you start to realize like these characters can can actually exist in something that is a bit bigger and a bit more texture yeah i mean i think i'm not a writer on the show so i you know i can't speak to to the to the room and and to but it does feel like they're striking a balance between what you know the product that everyone comes to enjoy and then tinkering around a bit with stuff that makes them excited and keeps it fresh for them and and they see i think this season in particular they found a really good balance of that um yeah um and and uh you know the fans seem to to mostly agree um I mean, also the the couple seasons that were shot during the pandemic. It's there's all the challenges of that and stuff. So I, I think that that might have might have contributed to some fans kind of are you know rough on seasons fourteen and fifteen. And fourteen wasn't shot in the pandemic, but fifteen was, and I think that that had some impact on it. Um, yeah. But I think generally, yeah, they're also just like a fuck it phase, not like a not a let's not try fuck it phase, but just kind of like 
let's, let's, let's re- reduce this a bit. Like, yeah, and and some of that is getting back to really getting back to like the basics and yeah. and and giving like really doing just like sunny as sunny, um, but then also finding. I think the other thing too that was interesting about like that the mental health day in particular is like it is in a lot of ways typical sunny. Yeah. Um, whereas like something like the noir from the first frame, you know, it's a different thing or being frank, you know, it's a different thing. Like this one was an interesting balance of like in a lot of ways and granted the gang's not in, in the episode as much as would be normal, but there's not a lot of like until you get to that ending. No, no, no. I mean, when you set it up and it's him in the doctor's office and how he's exchanging with that, you you would assume that that would just be like another shot in another episode of of Also, that cold open is so good. Yeah. It's so (laughs) tight. Like, I'm not, it has nothing to do with me. I'm just talking about the script. Like, so well done. I think it's, I mean, God, it feels like it's like barely a minute long. And the entire episode is set up. You know what journey you're on. I mean, to the extent that the folks want you to know the journey you're on. It's so good. Shout out to Ross Maloney, who wrote it. It's his first episode of television ever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. First. I mean, he's 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 worked with Glenn. He's been Glenn's, Glenn's assistant. He's been so he's been in the writers' rooms and and but he's it was his first like wow. real at bat and he wow. he killed it. That's he, crushing. He man. That's a, that's job. amazing. He's a really nice guy too. Um. Yeah. Yeah. We we he. Uh, he uh, did a little screening f- of it because it was his first thing uh, at this little theater in the Roosevelt. Um, <laughs> he has a friend who works there, so they got us in for I got, got him in for 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 pennies. Um, so we got to watch it on like a you know not a huge screen, but, but a big a, screen, but yeah. a biggish screen. It was real fun. Yeah, that's great, man. I mean, I like uh, like your your work is fantastic. Like I said, I, the episodes of that show that I love majority of the episodes that you've done dude. oh thank you i and mean i was i was really lucky i did i worked behind the scenes on the show for like three and a half or four seasons before i got my what first did you do episode behind the i so i was um so this was in like oh nine through 12 so it was like seasons five six seven eight ish um this was that period of time when every network wanted web content yeah. to 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 support their shows so I was kind of embedded on set as a behind the scenes guy. Oh, I think I've seen some of this um, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I it was I was basically there every day and when there was a turnaround uh w- turnaround is when the lights and camera are turning around and the actors can't do anything so the actors have downtime for those of you who don't know what turnaround <laughs> is uh, so like i'd have like 10 or 15 minutes when when they were turning around and i'd like pitch them an idea and we'd shoot it um and so i did that for i think four seasons and so i was there hanging out watching them make it when watching a fantastic directors dan Addius, randall einhorn matt shackman um list goes on of just killer directors so i i it was it was a dream in that regard and so i i got to watch really how the guys like to work what works for the show you know God, all that man. stuff it was very fortunate and it's that you know these stories it's like you know uh most people yeah, of course. There's like nepo babies or whatever, um, and even most of them that you whose names you hear you hear now, like they're legitimately talented people. Yeah, like there hits a level where you have to be. Even though yeah, you have yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yes, Sofia Coppola had some has had some access, but she's also a good filmmaker. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't know what the point of that was. Oh, they, like for me, it was like you know that wasn't my case. Um, but every story has like 
the inn, the thing that, you need that. And, and, you know, fortunately, like I met Charlie at a summer stock theater thing when we were like 19 years old. Oh, um, shit. yeah. And, uh, and I happened to go to college with the woman who wound up being his wife mm-hmm. and she and I were friends all through college. And so like there was this thing, and then also, I did twenty years of theater directing, <laughs> but that and had, doesn't and matter. It was and, only the and, access that and, you and, had. And, gotcha. and well, but I just mean to say, like for yeah, those yeah. out here, out there, like listening to this in you know different various levels of like aspiring to be this, you know, to to have a career in this field, like yeah, you do, you know, you bust your ass and you get be ready for whatever when, access when, that when, comes when, when it comes. And yeah. mine was also like it was, you know, I got a pitch i got i got a meeting with fx to pitch this web stuff because charlie got me that meeting yeah and then i pitched them with a with he paired me up with another creator he thought that he thought we would work well together and um and got that and then that was like three or four years i did it for another fx series called wilfred as well mm-hmm. and i did but i it like it slowly graduated from just this web content with like no budget to this was still when blu-ray and dvd were a thing so i started doing bonus features because mm-hmm. that, that was when that was still a really big revenue model for the for the network so i started doing dvd bonus features and one of those um really they were really impressed with and then that led to my first episode in season 13 no season nine sorry so so was it was it always sunny was that your first tv directorial thing yeah 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 the gang gets quarantined that was my very first i remember that one which is still one of my favorite episodes. It's a great episode. Uh, uh, and it has kind of horror vibes. Yeah, it does. Um, uh, and I really, that's, you know. Was it, that was the uh, Danny DeVito, like, I gotta be pure. Yeah, yeah, shaves his whole body. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Dennis, uh, sickness be gone. You know, I'll, I will, I'll simply tell my sickness to leave, <laughs> which is uh, echoed in the heart the heart rate thing. Well, hold on, hold on. So you don't have to convince Danny DeVito to shave his body because that's in the script, right? right? Yeah, 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 right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You're just yeah. convincing him how to lay on the ground and where he should be. Like, uh, are you blocking him for that kind of thing? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I generally with, with that show, with those guys, particularly with Danny, I have like three ideas that I would be happy with uh-huh. in my, in my one before so I, you show up with three ideas generally. Mm-hmm. And, and the first one is usually, uh, out there in some way, whether it's like, like it's going to be born out of a fucking couch. Naked. Uh, no, I wish I had, I wish that was mine. I wish that was mine. Um, uh, no, it would be, you know, uh, a more complex blocking or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or like in the example with, uh, in quarantine, there's a scene, one of the favorite scenes I've ever shot still. And it's now I've been doing this for almost a decade. Um, was Charlie eating the peanuts and Danny talking about, I'm going to make the city pure. I'm going to shave everybody. (laughs) And he's putting Purell on him. And, um, that scene, Danny, the way that typically would have been shot is the two of them sitting at the corner of the bar and them talking to each other. Sure. And I, at at that point in the episode, I believe only Charlie and Danny are left in the bar. Everyone else has locked themselves in the bathroom. Yeah. So Charlie's kind of at his wits end with Danny and like doesn't really want to listen to him. And the dialogue is like, whatever, dude. Yeah, sure. Good luck with that. Like he's very not engaged. Yeah. And so I pitched. And so I had in my back pocket, like they're going to sit at the corner of the bar and talk to each other. I know we can do it that way. Um, and I know that's probably like with, with, without any kind of directorial push, that's what, how it will, what yeah. it'll be, what it would be. But I was, 
I had this idea of him kind of looming in the background and him approaching Charlie with a straight razor and Charlie not being aware of it. And, and also like just from a, again, from story point of view, like Charlie's not really paying attention to him Mm -hmm. and what's the best way to physicalize. Like if you're not paying attention to somebody, you're not looking at them. And so I had, so then I had, you know, Danny behind him and I had talked to the art department and I had them change some of the dressing because I knew that the first question would be, well, how does Charlie see Frank at all? Mm-hmm. How do we have, how do we cut into any kind of coverage? And so I had the art department, there was a Guinness mirror behind the bar. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. That I had the art department sneakily move so that, it was in front of Charlie, so he could look up and see him, and we could have a camera over Charlie's shoulder seeing Danny's reflection. And so that's a, uh, an example where I had like this idea that I knew was a little like a slightly off the wall and slightly different and believed in my heart it was a better – it was more what they wrote. Yeah. It was physicalizing more what was actually on the page. Because really, that's what you're trying to do is like visualize exactly I what am, the words are. Our, our job is to make the two-dimensional three-dimensional. Yes. That's kind of – well, obviously, obviously we're not making something actually three-dimensional because it's being projected on a two-dimensional. So I'm not don't, – yeah. don't be pedantic with me. <laughs> um, but but it's to take the page and make it – you know blow my, – my I had an acting teacher in my freshman year of, of college uh, who's a, a legitimately – just a fucking genius. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Dale Moffat. Um, and he had this phrase, putting air in Mickey. Like that's what an actor's job is to do is you're, you're putting the, you're putting life into a two dimensional thing. You're uh-huh. blowing it up. Yeah. Um, you, you know, <laughs> you're taking a, you this two dimensional idea of Mickey mouse. That's uh, and, and, and giving it life. Yeah. And, and I, I thought it was such a, like it, it stuck with me fucking 500 years later. Strange. Uh, it's a little weird, but I, I like yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah putting Aaron Mickey. <laughs> um, so like with the, yeah, with Danny, usually I have like, a few versions of a thing, one that's most comfortable and easy for him. And, but he's also super game, man. Yeah. And, and, and the thing he won't do a thing that he knows isn't like necessary or cool or additive. So it's not that he's difficult. It's that he's been doing this for fucking yeah, ever. He's yeah, made yeah. films. He's produced films. He's obviously a brilliant actor. He's done everything in this, in this business. You know, a lot of people don't know he produced the Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, and amongst many other films. Um, so when I have moments where I find him being like, quote, difficult, which I don't, it's just, I'm not, the idea I'm pitching is more, isn't it's the juice isn't worth the squeeze for one reason or another. Um, fortunately, like I, I, he's, he gives me a hard time, but he's also, I, I know his, his, I know two of his children. Um, uh, and so there's, I think he might be a little bit, a little bit nicer to me than maybe some (laughs) other folks, but, but maybe not the very first time, uh, I've told this story a million times. Um, um, but the very first time, I first time I like called action called cut first take and um, I'm walking up to him and I'm on we're on opposite ends of the bar because yeah, yeah. video village was back by the very back of the bar outside the back of the bar and he's at the very very front of the bar and it's first take so everybody is every department you know mob Huddled set and, yeah, and yeah. because they're tweaking things that they saw on the first take so ladders are in there and da, 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 da. so there's you know 45 50 people in the bar and he sees me make eye contact with him you know I'm 40 feet away 
And he goes, everybody shut up. <laughs> of course, Danny yells that. And so everyone freezes and he gestures to me and goes, Kubrick's got an idea. <laughs> It's like no, 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 no! Ah, you go, you. I saw you. You come over here. So he's very busting bust, bust me, but but uh, what was that? Guy. What was that first day like for you? Were you fucking oh, nervous? No. Well, I was. You know, I was. It was home team, man. Like I had been working on the show as this kind of like very yeah. low paid grunt. Uh, everyone knew. You know, everyone was rooting for me. Well, um, and you were also engaging with the cast, right? Cause you were doing yeah, all those yeah, yeah, kids. yeah. So they, so. you know, they were. It was hardcore getting fucked with like all day. You know, like I'd come up to I Glenn. I came up Glenn and Caitlin where I was coming up to give them a note on something and they were like, go, go make a sandwich. Go make a sandwich. Just go, Heath, go, go make a sandwich for you. Go make a sandwich for me. Uh-huh. Have a half of it for yourself. Go make a sandwich. <laughs> I love uh, Paul Boston. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of so, but, it, but it was, you know, it, they're all, Caitlin is fantastic. Super game. Um, she seems, she's the most physical person on that show for Christ's sakes. They, they do a lot. They make her do a lot of stuff for <laughs> sure. Um, it's a great group of people. I mean, uh, like it's, you know, Rob is like hyper efficient and you got to know your shit and you got to like, if you're, if you're, you know, him and hawing, he doesn't take that too kindly. Um, it's not mean about it. It's just like, Let's go. We're here. We want to get you know. And well, he's te- he's technically the show- he's he's the showrunner, right? Is that the deal? Yeah, they. I mean, they're all three pretty. Much. I mean, but yes, he's the you know. So he's probably yeah. on. He's probably in the front of that. Just going. Like- yeah, yeah, and Charlie too. And they. I mean, all three of them. I mean, they they know it so well, and it's not that they're gonna. They don't like bulldoze people, but they you know if you're if you're. They know if something's gonna work or not. Yeah, don't waste and, don't waste the fucking time. Like, make it. Yeah, happen. and and you know. They all have children, and and for for the past several years, they're like young children, children at a at an age where you like kind of wanna really need and want to be there. So there's that reality of like, and yeah. you know, I'm not a I'm not a parent, but a number of the people in the crew are, and everyone really appreciates that. Like, you can work on that show and have a life uh, outside yeah. of the show, which you know, not is not the case with a lot of uh, particularly hour long TV. It's so yeah. brutal. Yeah. Yeah, 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 because it's pretty intense. You want some? Uh, you want some more water or something? I'm okay. I would like to pee. Yeah, let's take a hot second break. Let's take we'll a hot back. second. We'll come back. Okay. Time to take a quick break and thank the sponsors of our show. And before you click fast forward, you're going to miss out on some stuff, I'm sure, because your boy likes to go off on tangents, right? First up, if you are in the market for a computer, let's say that you're a filmmaker, let's say you're a video editor, maybe you are a music composer and you just need a new machine. And uh, what happens? Are you spiteful at the fact that your hardware, which was working fine last week, has now been rendered useless by an update? Are you spiteful at the fact that the hardware you bought came like soldered, baked onto the motherboard? So you physically have to throw that piece of equipment out now because it's rendered useless? Does that bother you? It bothers me, man. That's why I built PCs now. That's why I got into the PC market again. Uh, Just because PCs are upgradable, they're affordable. Uh, All the hardware that's 
going into your PC is in a very competitive marketplace, which means the prices are very, very competitive and oftentimes will drop drastically after the first week that they're released on the marketplace. Um, but building a PC can be a pretty ridiculous task for most folks, right? Because there's a lot of tech shit you, you need to know. A lot of hard tech shit you got to know. It's, is this motherboard the right motherboard? Is this hard drive the right hard drive? Are these things going to communicate with each other? There's a lot to figure out. And there's a lot of resources out there for you to do it. But even though you do the research, you still buy the things. And you're like, why the fuck is this not booting? You know? I didn't want to deal with that, man. And the time that I did it, I was running a post-production house. I didn't want to be responsible for each and every machine in that place. I didn't want to be the guy getting the tech support calls from the dudes that work for me. So I found this company called Puget Systems. They're a family-owned company, Upper West Coast. And uh, what they do is they build PCs. That's all they do. Custom-built PCs. You can go to PugetSystems.com, build a computer based upon the software you're going to use. Uh, they'll give you a baseline package that they then expect you to customize. So you guys customize that together. You tell them what it is that you do. You talk to a human being about it, which is crazy. Um, and uh, I love my system, man. I got a 6K beefy fucking editor that uh, we're running like 25 layers, at least a video, real-time full res, real-time playback, real-time playback. Uh, I love my computer. If you want to know the specs for my machine, write to Puget Systems. Go to PugetSystems.com or write to them on Instagram and say, what are Mike's specs and can I get it even cheaper? <laughs> and those guys will try to hook you up, man. Can't say enough good things about Puget Systems. I'm excited. They're coming into town. I'm supposed to go out and have drinks with them and maybe do another podcast live with those guys. So I'm pumped that's coming in the future. PugetSystems.com. Supporting the show, friends over at Fujifilm. I love Fujifilm. You guys have heard me rave about Fujifilm. The fact that both Gina and I use Fujifilm cameras when we shoot. That's the stuff we use right now. GFX 100S is what Gina just shot her whole new set with. That I think is going to be live by the time the show comes out next week. Maybe. Yeah, she says maybe. Um, so wait for that set that's coming out. You'll see a bunch of uh, releases. If you don't follow Gina's Instagram, I'll plug her. She's on the couch here pretending like she's not listening to me. Go to Gina underscore Gisela. And you'll be able to see all the new stuff she's doing that she has been shooting with the GFX 100S. And she's been using her Photo Deox adapter. Photo Deox, that's F-O-T-O-D-I-O-X. Photo Deox. Um, with that adapter, she's able to take old Mamiya full-frame lenses, old uh, medium-format lenses, and put them on a brand-new Fujifilm camera. And that's what I like about it. A lot of folks are afraid to jump ship when it comes to whatever brand that they seem to be loyal to. They ask, ask yourself this question, why are you loyal to a brand to begin with? We treat our brands as if they're people, like they're our best friends. They're not. They're just a fucking corporation. So why are you a Nikon person? Why are you a Fujifilm person? I can tell you why I'm a Fujifilm person, because I like the people behind Fujifilm. I know them. Victor and all those folks. I mean, there's a reason why they are collaborating with me on this podcast. There's a reason why I do the whole Fujifilm Creator Series. It's because I know them as people. But why are you loyal to these specific brands? You ever ask yourself that question? And 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 if it if you're not loyal to them as humans, because they're not humans, um, then you're really looking for the tools that work for you, right? And sometimes those tools change. 
Sometimes you gotta you gotta go from being a Nikon user to a Fujifilm user. Sometimes you gotta go somewhere else. But when you do so, don't you feel like you've made an investment? It's like I've got a whole closet full of food of uh, Nikon lenses, and now I'm gonna buy a Fujifilm camera. I won't be able to use those lenses. Yeah, you will. Get yourself a Photo Deox adapter so you can adapt all the lenses that you have in your back catalog to your Fujifilm. And here's something that's really interesting. You can find really cool, old-school, vintage, cheap lenses that no one wants. Get the adapter and put them on the new Fujifilm and see what they do. It'd be fun. Start creating a new look, a new style that works for you. Fujifilm. Love this place. Like I said, Fujifilm.com. It's not Fujifilm.com. The link is in the description of this episode. I can't remember what the actual URL is, but it's in the description of this episode. What a shitty read, Michael. Um, but uh, love them. Can't say enough good things. If you guys want to see the stuff that we have been shooting with it, like I said, I'll post it on my Instagram. Photos, videos, all sorts of stuff. All shot with Fujifilm. Also supporting the show, our friends over at Boca Rentals. This is the rental house that I use here in California because one specific reason, they give a shit about young filmmakers, they care about young cinematographers, and they prioritize us. That's important. A lot of these bigger rental houses will prioritize David Fincher when he walks in. These guys really care about the next generation of filmmakers. Doesn't matter where you come from or who you are. They want to hear your stories and they want to help you make it happen. It's a smart business move on their part because we're the future. We're the future of the business. So if you want to team up, and here in Los Angeles, if you want to team up with a premier rental house with some of the best lenses in the industry available, amazing camera support packages, all sorts of great stuff, Boca Rentals is the place to go. All right? So definitely check them out. Links for all of our sponsors are in the description of this episode because your boy doesn't prepare <laughs> so i put everything in the description of this episode and all those links are traceable links trackable links so they'll know that we sent you it's important as we re-up our sponsorships you know so those of you who are like i wish i had money so that i can help you out and keep this podcast going you don't have to do that all you have to do is click the links every time you listen to an episode just click the link in our sponsor section just click a link in the description of this episode each and every episode you listen to just do it it helps us out lets them know that you're listening all right and for those of you who are newcomers to the show and you want to uh, have a curated experience when listening to our podcast go to inlovewiththeprocess.com there there are sections of that website that are just set up to be specific topics of our show so if you want to listen to the directors, they're all there. If you want to listen to the writers, they're all there. It's a great place to go for a curated experience of our podcast. For those of you who are too lazy to go back to episode one and listen to everything in a row, which you should. It's a lot of fun stuff that you catch along the way in there. Um, and the, we've been on some crazy adventures on this show, man. We're, we're, we're getting to like episode 300, I think, right? We're getting close. And uh, we've been everywhere, man. You'll 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 hear stories of Gina and I packing our bags and moving across country, and all the process that that took. Me flying out early and trying to find an apartment with only a few weeks to spare. Like I, I document all that stuff on the show. So, if you really want to go on the adventure that is uh, the weird world that I live, uh, start from episode one. 
But if you are someone that is just cherry picking your episodes, then you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I'm not really judging you. I'm just slightly judging you. You know what I mean? Anyway, let's get back to the show. Okay, we're back. Bladders emptied. We're back. We're back. Um, oh, oh, what I wanted to show you, since we are... I love that this show's been very horror-based. Uh, these... Oh, what are those? I made for the new short that you haven't seen yet. We oh, were yeah. talking about practical. Oh, that's fun. Look at these scary claw How cool gloves. are those? Very cool. And it, there's something about just being able to put them on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fun. That's the clack. Y'all are hearing the clack of some very scary claw-like appendages. How cool is that, man? That's very fun, dude. Yeah. I love it. They I got love a, it. They got a little torn up because we had some acting stuff with them, but like... Very Having cool. physical things made yeah. just changed the vibe on the whole set, changed sure. the vibe with how the actors were able to perform. Well, it gives them something to play off of, too. And they, it's not, not that expensive. I think those were like three, four hundred bucks to get All made. Right. All right. I so, love like, it. You, I love you forget it. how cheap this stuff really can be, especially when we're making. Cheaper than, you know. Days and days and days of a VFX artist. Oh, writing emails to like fucking 40 people and then trying to translate <laughs> an idea through that. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. Oh, I'm sorry. How did you read my email? That's completely not what I meant. Can I come down to the office? No? Okay. Great. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> fun. Um, so, the, uh, well, I guess let's talk a little bit about Always Sunny. Like, when you watch the show from an audience perspective, and as a filmmaker, I watch it, and I'm the, I think the envy that I do have of that show is that you got the, it must be breaking happening consistently on that show as far as laughing, or are you guys, is everybody over it now, and is it a... No, they're still, I mean, they're always trying to make each other laugh because that's, or make themselves laugh, because that's, like, being right on that edge is where it's, is, good. Is where it's best, and so there's definitely still plenty of giggles going on um yeah yeah uh and um you know it's i can't wait to see the bloopers that come out of this season um so there's definitely some good good stuff those bloopers they you know there's always good there's there's always drop uh, i guess you know shortly after the seasons so i'm hoping i don't know maybe it might be slowed down right now because nobody's working but sure um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's always a, a, it's a very fun, fun environment and, 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 uh, well, one would hope that, and you usually hear these in interviews and you go, uh, these guys are probably paid to say how fun it is. One no, would I'm hope, not paid to say anything. <laughs> one would hope that, it, you know, you're, although I, I, I really, I couldn't shit talk it cause that would probably cost me something. <laughs> I'm not shit talking it to protect future employment. We do have fun. Well, one would hope that you're on a comedy set and people are laughing all day. 
you know, like uh, when you're on a horror set, sometimes you are screaming. Most of the time, you're rolling your eyes and waiting for that insert shot to. Right, right, right. A lot so more, to work lot, a lot more makeup, a lot more goo to deal with. A lot more tech shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but uh, one would hope you guys are laughing all the fucking time on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are definitely times where I. Because I have a separate monitor that I can be, if I want to be, I can be like right off camera. Um, do you find that? Do you find that to be the way to do it? Do you like to be in Video Village, or do you like to be right off camera? I generally like to be right off camera. Me too. Um, uh, what do you find the benefits of that? Well, um, one, there's no, there's less distraction for me. Like vi- Village, I can reach over and get my coffee, and I can da 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 da. I can you know check my phone if I'm really not paying attention. I don't do that, but but if I'm right there, I really have to be. I don't want to take the. I don't want to distract the actor, so I'm very still. I'm just looking at the monitor. Um, so there's there's that, and then it, the sheer practicality of I can see what's not in the frame, and so you know if if. Uh, if an adjustment needs to be made physically, I can kind of see what the actual physical environment is, mm-hmm. not just what the camera's seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the a lot of, and I, I tend to do this not just on Sunny, but it's just a kind of way that I work and I brief the actors for this prior to, but generally like my third take is, I usually don't do more than three um, How come? Uh, well, because my third take, I don't call cut for for, for a long time, uh, often. So, <laughs> so you but just let it run. I'll let it run, and then it's just like I will, you know, I will just be like, just go back two lines, just just uh, just speed through that. You get, take that, take that, those three couplets, those six lines. Let's just do that three times in a row, and 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 I like what you're doing, what the choice you're making. Like, just dial up, like lean into that choice, whatever it is. You're sad, you're mad, you're whatever, whatever. I don't really talk about emotions at all with actors, um, but I, I feel like it's it's a whole other podcast. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but whatever adjustments or whatever dynamics we have discussed, I will say, yeah, let's that thing we were talking about, that aspect of your character, that aspect of the of the arc of your character, or that that the aspect of this scene that's the scenes of negotiation. This is really when you're putting the pressure on, like you know, and I'll take the section that is most emblematic um, of what whatever kind of the scene is most about. And I might just like run that several times or I'll say to an actor, like, just do like, give me, do that line three, four times in a row. Just give it to me three, four times and, and be faster every time. Don't pause at all. Pause more, take a break here, like whatever, whatever adjustments, or even if it's just like, sometimes I find, I find it very helpful if it's like outside of of giving a line reading, I don't know how to get the actor to do what I want them to do. So I'll just say like, do that line five times in a row and just do it different every time and, and you're take just hun- your you're time. Hunting, you're hunting for magic at that point. right? Yeah. Or just like I kind of, or, or I'm like whatever I have said hasn't connected the dots for them. Yeah. So I'm yeah. just like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm and I'll usually say like, something rhythmically about that line isn't hasn't landed for me yet or something something uh uh melodically for the line hasn't like if someone's being very flat or something and i need a little more i need them to you know super hard to do that uh, you know without giving a line reading but i can say like play the melody of the line play the line like it's like it's a song lyric and i don't mean sing it but like no, no, just no, feel pitch, the pitch variation yeah, or, yeah feel the rhythm or, um yeah so 
uh, I'll, uh, the, the third take, and again, third, fourth, whatever. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not being prescriptive here. Don't, don't everybody go out and only do two takes and then make the third. Um, so, uh, that when I'm close to the actor, when I'm when I'm right off camera, that's much easier to do. Yeah, because you um, can just quietly yeah, communicate. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. and I, I try not to. And, and, and it doesn't become like a, a theatrical thing for the crew and everybody here because right. there's a sense of embarrassment or there's a sense of I'm not, I'm not doing my job right and everybody hears me not doing my fucking yeah. job right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. So that I've that's been more as I've gotten older and just kind of learned how. I used to be at Village. Because I do like the larger screen, you know that the, that there is something nice about just like seeing the full yeah. frame and and and. I being, just hate all the other shit that's it. Well, when I'm sitting at Village, I'm, I'm always doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much more. Yeah. And there's so much fucking shit. And I'm like, and you know, I feel like the same thing with me. Like when I'm right off the camera, I, I used to feel that when I did a lot of camera operating. So you, a lot of people think that when you're camera operating, you're camera operating with like one eye closed and your other eye in the camera. I usually have both eyes open. Yeah. So that way you can be preconceived. You can actually see what's happening, where the energy is coming from, and you can actually process it. There's something really nice about being in that perspective as yeah. a director. Not to mention the fact that it's like, it's just us playing together. So yeah. like you're performing for me. Fuck everything else. Yeah. And there are times on, on some shows where I'm not, I don't watch monitor at all. Like where I know what the shots are. Like if obviously I'm not doing this if it's like some complex camera move, sure. but if it's you know a handheld and we're doing overs and or, or it's you know it's I'm I'm just watching it like a play. Yeah. And the part of that comes from I was a theater director for a lot longer than uh, well now it's getting closer in time, but um, <laughs> that I'm and I'm watching because I'm watching. Oftentimes I'll be watching or like paying attention to like physicality, like the actors in a close up. Yeah. But I'm watching what they're doing with their hands. Yeah. And I might have them do something with their hands. Might give them a object to play with, or I might like just, you know, give them some business that even though they're not being, that's not being recorded. But they dude, I just did this with a VO. I had to do the same thing with a VO. I had to literally hand the, an actress like a stuffed animal and be like, please go somewhere with this. Like you, it's sometimes needed, especially when you're that tech, because that's very technical, right? You're in a close up, you know, like the actor knows that they can only land here on their marks, and now all that stuff is running through the head at the same time while trying to get a performance out of that kind yeah. of thing. You're yeah. trying to break that a little bit. Right? Well, or or sometimes like, and I'm I'm almost always looking for for an activity to give an actor in any scene, mm -hmm. like even if it's just like. And they have a cup of coffee or, mm -hmm. you know, and they've, they're doodling like, because that becomes so often like a conduit. Like if I'm doing a, you know, if I'm, if, if I'm doing a scene and, and I'm an actor and my director gives me a pen and a pad of paper and I'm fucking frustrated, like all of a sudden I have, I don't have to like indicate like the fresh that's you're giving it an outlet. You're giving it, you're, you're like, they can, if they're scribbling on the piece of paper or they're, they're clicking that pen or they're they're you know twirling it like that all of a sudden becomes you know we as 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 animals you know what is it like 80 percent roughly 75 80 percent of even though we're like we're doing a podcast there's no there's no yeah, visual there's no information visual but 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 uh yes but i you know it's i don't know what the exact number is but you know three quarters of what we the information even with with highly ling language-based animals such as human beings still three quarters of it is, is nonverbal. Yeah. 
And so I think activity, business, giving the actor something to do. Yeah, it helps the actor and it it helps the actor be more natural and it helps the audience. It gives the audience another thing to read. Um, 100%. And oftentimes that's the thing that you're reading more than what's being said. And then you can be subverting what's being said by. And it's that's like in so many actors that are like really fantastic, that's. The old, the old Steve McQueen shit, uh, uh, riding the horse and fucking taking his hat off and doing his shit. Yeah, yeah. On the scene. And even like, like Gosling's performance in Barbie oh is, my, we were just is so good, this. and it's like so much of that is is his physical life. Yeah, and um, and and like the little behavioral stuff that that he's doing. Um, yeah, it's like so many. It's just a. It seems like a shortcut to to more grounded acting. Um, I I completely agree with you. And when you're talking about all like these little physicalities, the cast that you get to play with, that's what they are. It's yeah, all like yeah, these yeah. physicalities. All yeah. each and every one of them are. Yeah, very very uh, gifted physical performers for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, the other thing I've you know like if I'm there close to camera and you know say it's a two shot and you can't see the they're sitting at a table and you can't see under the table, but I clock you know the actors sitting there like shifting their feet and uh, and I can be like. Hey, just re- just relax. Like, don't like. Let's just be still. And that's not even on camera. That and I wouldn't have noticed that. All I would be perceiving if I was watching just the monitor is there's something diffuse about what they're doing. There's something not focused about what they're doing. There's something not grounded about what they're doing. And if I'm like look down and I see like they're just like constantly shifting their feet around or some there's there's like energy that they are letting out. That you're registering as a human being in the space with them. And that's not being captured on camera. Yeah, on camera. And and so being close to to the actors, um, there are all those things that you can you can you're not gonna get if you're on if you're, you're, the flip side of that is and this is where I think, you know, if we're if I'm working on a scene that's, you know, for whatever reason multiple takes you know we're doing six eight whatever which is rare on sunny but oftentimes i'll bounce between my monitors that are on a c-stand right next to set because i i have like on a show on tv generally and 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 commercials as well obviously you have your own director's monitor but um this isn't you don't have this luxury necessarily on like smaller things where there's like a village and then your thing yeah, or, yeah. Um, but in situations where I have two places to be I'll intentionally watch from both places hmm. because the flip side is when you're watching from a monitor from village rather you're that's you're ingesting it more the way the audience will mm-hmm. there you mm-hmm. know you aren't seeing all the you're all not the being other affected stuff. by all the other stuff. yeah yeah so it's all kind of bounce between the two but primarily i try i like being closer to i also don't like to sit that much that's just because i'm antsy yeah, me too. Uh, and so um it's one of the reasons why i have fucking back problems now my, <laughs> my pacing and finally got some sneakers you gotta get some me. hocus baby you gotta yeah. get some some i just got my nbs i got my new yeah, balance they scan my feet yeah big sofas on your feet I'm, uh-huh. doing, I'm doing physical therapy once a fucking week from years hey, of camera work this shit. sounds just like me yeah dude yeah yeah but um I, dude this is really good insight man because you, you you brought up a point at the beginning of the show, which I think is a good way to sort of loop it here, is that our job ultimately is being the audience. And yeah. our job is being the, the first line of defense, the first sort of ingestion of this with the understanding of everything that's involved. And we sort of process the intent and everything that we're hopeful for 
and then we have to just sort of watch it and then feel it uh, the way that the audience and really be honest about if it's there or not which is I think that's the hardest thing is, right, is because even when I start no matter how many years I've been doing it I still will stare at the monitor and my ego will still kick in and I'll go like oh my am I shit like the first take you ever feel that way when you like first take Never. of the first day I always think yeah, I'm brilliant yeah fuck off first take <laughs> first take of the first day I'll be at the monitor and I'll go oh such a fucking piece of shit and, and the you know what I've been doing it, I'm trying to get over that as fast as I possibly can. Well, I think, can. I think, and this goes back to what I was talking about, about if you have time to get seven shots, but you got you had 15 listed. Um, and the thing that gets you away from, like, am I a fraud or whatever, is what's the point of the shot? Yeah. What is? Why does the shot exist? Yeah. Is it, and one, most shots should only have one point. <laughs> yes. Um, and obviously again everything i'm saying like there's all these exceptions and but most shots have a single reason they exist and there is no answer of am i shit or not in a single shot the only answer in that shot is is the shot serving the purpose that i think it needs to serve for the greater part of the story and being great or sucking is just the whether how many of those individual shots did you string together that are actually serving their purpose. Right. Right. And, and right, right. It's a good way to look at it, man. That's why like, you know, I don't talk about like, I don't talk about emotions with actors so much. I'm, I'm talking about like, what's the function of the scene? What's the function of the moment? What, what purpose are we serving? What purpose is your character's presence in this scene serving for the story? Yeah. Because that's all, that's all external stuff we can talk about and we can decide externally objectively to the greatest degree that's possible with something that's still a very subjective art form but you can decide like this is this is okay this scene is a coffee cup why does it have a a a a stem only wine glasses and champagne flutes have a stem so that's an unnecessary part the scene is a coffee cup where is why is the 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 rim of this cup is too thin if i if this had hot liquid in it it would burn my hand if i picked it up we need to make the we need to make the cup thicker we need to make the handle sturdier because the cup's thicker and it has to bear more weight and i it's a weird analogy but mm, when you connect, when it. you have a scene that's like this scene is about the power dynamic this scene is about the turn of the power dynamic so this early scene needs to set up this dynamic and every shot every the the performance the lighting all of it needs to support this person is top dog this person is underdog yeah and this is a story about how the current socioeconomic system in which we live forces us into top dog underdog positions and actually neither underdog nor top dog is actually comfortable being dominated or dominating that that's not natural for us if that's the thesis of the film yep every fucking scene every beat every sequence every shot is going to be engaging in that argument yeah, and yeah. functioning to to support one side of that argument or the other and that's really hard to know and to that's hard to define that's hard to you know uh, but and there is you know ultimately no right answer necessarily mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is where the art the art and the subjectivity comes in but but if that's what you're doing then 
I don't need to talk to my actor about whether they're feeling mad or sad or what, like that's up to them. They're the masters of emotion. They're the masters of, of that. That's not my forte. Um, my forte is story. My yeah. forte is structure. My forte is visually telling that story. What angle supports that, mm-hmm. that story point? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, we want, we want Sylvester Stallone and Rocky one to feel like he's never going to beat Apollo. We want him to feel like a bum. So the camera is going to be above him. Mm-hmm. Just very simply. Like mm-hmm. that's how you decide where the camera needs to be positioned. Like there's it's, one it's supporting everything that's happening. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So uh, that I think when you sit down and go on the first day, am I, does this look like shit? Am I a, am I a fraud? Whatever is like, okay, just the night before the first day, like, what am I? Wh- okay, I'm going to shoot this tomorrow. And what is the point of this shot? Yeah. And then you can judge yourself, like, oh fuck, I do suck because this doesn't tell that story. <laughs> well, that sometimes that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, at sometimes. least it becomes uh, less like an. It becomes a less like esoteric existential. You, of course, what is my value? Of course, question. Of course. And I like I. I want to be clear. Uh, I feel like I've progressed far enough that I'm beyond that, but it, it's the second thing for me where I'm like, I did my homework last night. This is I was a mostly speaking to the your uh, listeners I, I, who I, may I know, not, know, not to you. Being, You're just I here. I was being insecure. <laughs> That's okay. I still have that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I mo- now my question is like, am I wrong about what the reason that, that this no, shot dude, exists? Dude, dude, I mean, everything that I've been studying for the past few years has been that game. And when when folks talk about homework and director's homework that's what our homework is is trying to figure answer all those questions or put those questions down on on paper uh to support each and every one of those scenes each and every one of those moments oh there's a great uh book that um it's called backwards and forwards oh okay and it's barely a hundred pages i think but it's a text analysis book and it's the whole theory the whole practice is you read a script backwards and they you it uses Hamlet as the like test script, mm-hmm. and so it's like, what do you have at Hamlet? Well, at the end of Hamlet, you have six dead bodies on the ground, <laughs> and like, and then you trace back how did each of them get to the ground, mm-hmm. and you work the entire thing from back. You're basically re resetting every domino. And it's a great way to to uh, approach I that, scripts. That, that's how I get, that's how I edited twelve cam. I edited twelve cam reverse. Oh yeah. So I do end scenes. I try to do the end scene first and then go backwards on. Well, I and mean, there's another reason for that too. I feel like if you can fuck up in the whole middle of whatever it is that you're doing, but it, you can't fuck up at the end and you can't fuck up at the beginning. That's a fair point. That's yeah. a fair point. The rest of it, it's all stylistic. <laughs> but beyond that, the, the the end has to be great. And so, like for me, even when I'm doing small pieces, I'm always trying to do the end stuff first. So I'm like, what is this movie like? Where's it going? That's where it's going. That's why we're doing it. Yeah, all the end has to be great. I feel like that's a great. This is the end now. This is the end, and it's pretty fucking great. This is great. We really landed on that. (laughs) Really, Carrie struggled that ending. Really (laughs) stuck that landing. Well, dude, this has been great, man. Thanks for having me. I'm happy you came in. Yeah, I feel like it was a better interview. I feel like I feel like there's a a better connection because we're agreed because we're humans in a space. Yeah, man, I can see you moving your legs. You want to get out of here? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just antsy. I'm just an antsy person. Generally antsy. Um, Yeah, man. Congrats on all the success on the virality. Thanks, dude. uh, And for keeping on making shit and 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 the podcast and and all of it, dude. And for you, man, doing some of the best stuff on on my favorite show on television oh thank you buddy i appreciate that so, uh, I appreciate means a lot that. dude and thanks for being on the show bud 
Hey, thanks for having me. There it is. Episode in the can. Uh, I'm a big fan of Heath. I feel like the two of us really hit it off. And I love the fact that we bonded over horror. (laughs) I really do. Um, There's just something. There is a kindred spirit in a fellow horror kid that like had to sneak in and see his first horror movie for the first time. I love his story about like peeking around the Christmas tree. It's practically parallel. I remember the the first time that I saw Nightmare on Elm Street and I had to sneak. I had to sneak downstairs and steal the videotape that my uncle had brought over while they were having dinner upstairs. And I popped it into the VHS player and turned that TV way down, got super close to it and was... Uh, you know, had my fucking brain slashed out by Freddy Krueger. Um, I love that, man. And I think that that bond makes this episode great. Um, thank you, Heath, for being on the show. Thank you for sharing so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you haven't seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I highly suggest you do. It is by far one of my favorite comedies on television. Uh, followed closely by the Righteous Gemstones right now. And I would love to get those folks on the show. I think Danny McBride is a fucking genius. And if by any chance, any of the cast of the show, if you guys listen to this episode, I would love to have you on. Um, I'm a huge fan of Glenn. And if you haven't seen Glenn's uh, independent films, you should. He's an amazing actor, well-trained actor. I'd love to work with him as a director. And of course, Charlie Day. Who doesn't love Charlie Day? Um, And I haven't seen Fool's Paradise yet, but I really want to. And I think what's fascinating about a lot of actors like Charlie, who have worked with really great directors like Guillermo del Toro, he has to have, like, learned something from a master like that. And uh, honestly, man, if you ever wanted to come on the show, that's what I'd want to talk to you about. What was it like working with Guillermo? What did you pull away? And what did you end up using for Fool's Paradise? Uh, And I promise I'll see the movie before you come on. Um, thank you, folks, for listening to the show. Lots of great episodes on the way. Lots of weird cast people and folks. It's been an interesting time for booking because of the strike. A lot of actors, I th- from what I understand from my actor friends, SAG literally just sent out an email to all their actors and said, no podcasts. Right? Supposedly, it's like <laughs> it's like that vague no podcasts um so it's like yeah but what if we're not promoting um you know for a studio what if we're not promoting a project are we allowed to do that no podcasts um yeah it's pretty crazy i don't know if you guys saw fran drescher who is what she's the president of sag isn't that the deal um she came out was talking about how they are sticking with the fight how they are in it to win it, I think was the quote, and how they said they're prepared to go another six months. I fucking hope not. I hope not. And it's easy for me to get upset with her in that statement because she's the one giving us a statement, but the truth of the matter is the people that they're battling against aren't even having a conversation right now. They're bullies. They're fucking bullies, man. Why would we change? We're not going to give you more stuff. You don't deserve more stuff. This is what you've always got. What was her her line? Don't quote me on this, but they're still dealing with a contract. Actors are dealing with a contract that was drafted in the 60s, right? In the late 1960s. 
Come on, dude. What year is it? There's not to mention inflation, but just the way the entire industry's changed. How people consume content has changed. That's the fucking loophole that so many of these tech businesses just totally take advantage of. You want to ask yourself, how do they make billions? It's because of loopholes. It's because of lawyers. That's how we got to where we are in capitalism. Thievery. And the fact, it all comes down to that statement, right? It's not personal, it's just business. Fuck you. It is personal. My business requires me to be personal. My business requires me to be empathetic. Apathetic. It requires me to be emotional. And when I'm not emotional in this business as a creator, and I go in very unemotional about it, they get upset. Why are you not fully committed in this? I don't feel heart in this. I don't feel emotion in this. So fuck you. Right? It is personal. It has to be personal. And for you not to respect the time and energy, the work, and understand where people are coming from, how they are getting there, what they are doing, what they are putting into something, and to not care. It's angering. It really is. And, you know, what's the difference? If we're all going broke, we're going broke. It's a really interesting period, man. You know, especially after COVID. It's a very interesting period. How many folks were used to just sitting around for a year, year and a half, right? And waiting for things and and making sure that they got what they needed. It's a different time period. I don't know, man. And like, I wish, because I know there's a lot of really great executives out there that care about people. They care about people. They care about how stuff is made and... I think it's really hard to be in that world and stand out and support folks without getting bullied by the big boys that are bullying everybody around. But I I want you men and women out there that are those execs that do care to stand up, to stand up front, to do it. And uh, from what I understand, there's been a lot of, um, you know, animosity and uh, folks that are upset about deals with independent studios, deals like with A24 and all those folks. Um, but from what I understand, the reason why they have deals so that they can continue to shoot is they they agree to the terms. And I get what SAG's doing. They're trying to prove to the larger places like, hey, look, the small guys will do it. Why the fuck won't you do it? You know, is there a world in which this goes on for over a year and then the only people that are putting out stuff with actors that we want to see are the independents? I don't know. There's something powerful in there. Maybe. While the rest of us go broke, while camera rental houses go out of business, right? While all the grips and folks are now, they can't do it. They have to sell their gear. I mean, it's really, really going to shift up the business a whole lot. I'll tell you this, man. I'm going to stick through it. I'm sticking through it. I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to ride this out. I've got a lot of really cool things ready to go. I'm not allowed to do anything with them yet, but I got a lot of really cool things ready to go. And I'm sticking it out, man. I'm going to make it happen. Because what the fuck else can this 45-year-old man do? You know? I don't know. I don't know how I got here. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Lots of really great stuff on the way. I appreciate your support. Thank you for telling your friends to listen to the show. Do so again. 
you're an Always Sunny fan, if you have friends that like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, tell them to listen to this episode. You know why. You've already listened to it. All right? That's it. I'll let you guys go. I will see you next Tuesday. Thank you.